fanficmedia.com presents Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast. With hosts Christiana Ellis, Chuch Schubert, Vivid Muse, and Nookchus. Welcome everyone to Season 5 of Spectic Media Presents Beyond the Wall. Tonight we're discussing Episode 8 of Game of Thrones titled Hard Home. With no spoilers past the currently aired episodes. I'm Chooch as always, joined by Christiana. Hello! Nookchus. Hi everyone! And Viv. Hey guys. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, other room? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. We've got a little bit of news uh, for us. We're going to move the show up. So we normally start at 9 p.m. Eastern, the live stream. And we're going to move that up to 8 p.m. Eastern starting next week, next Wednesday, June 10th, for Episode 9 discussion. Yep. We're hoping it'll allow us to have more rest for the next day. (laughs) <laughs> and still have a full discussion. We're excited about the idea. And it may allow people to join in live who normally can't stay up yeah. that late. Although it may screw some people because they may still be at work. But I guess we'll, see. Find, we'll find out. Oh, well. <laughs> it's always still on YouTube. Yeah. And well, audio. It, it'll be a better discussion regardless. So. Yep. <laughs> Viv, uh, did you have some Balticon info? Yeah. If it's okay, I would just really briefly like to um, say that uh, I obviously was like the undead last week, and I've recovered mostly uh, from Balticon now. And I wanted to um, give a supremely special and heartfelt thanks to the Balticon new media community because it was a really hard thing to pull together. And um, as we usually do, when things mean a lot to us, we took on more than we should have, and we ended up really in the safe hands of people like Val Griswold Ford and Laura Nicole. And I mean, so many people, I can't, Lisa Spen, uh, Sponagall, Pat Sponagall, our Pat man, of course, was here making, you know, trophies for the costume contest. So it, it was that helping boost that got me through something that was going to be really hard to do throwing that memorial for PG. And so, you know, it just enriched like the whole event for me and made it more powerful. So I wanted to thank the whole community for everything they did, whether it was their patience as we not surprisingly opened the door a few minutes later or, you know, hastily threw decorations up just because I looked like I was losing my mind. Um, (laughs) It's a very special and loving group. And thanks. Um, people have been expressing interest because they couldn't be there this year. And one of the things that uh, between Allie Gamblin and myself, there's always an annual Flickr feed um, or Flickr group that people can add to and then go and, and find pictures and see if maybe their costume got recorded somewhere that they didn't know about or for, you know, our kind of group. Is there a picture of me somewhere? Cause I forgot to take pictures myself and Um, So that group is up there. And um, we're also, in addition to that happening, in case you're wondering about the event, which I'm hoping to see a lot more photos. I know Nutty has photos up there. I've got a few up there. And I'm going to let Chooch read the link to that because. (laughs) Because you're mean. (laughs) Can you read that Flickr group link for me, Chooch? Uh, I've got it uh, up at uh, flickr.com slash groups. Slash Balticon 49. Thank you, Christiana. Um, and we're also going to be sending out uh, photo releases to some folks that have expressed interest in sharing photos from the event. And we're going to 
put them together and create like a gallery from the party. And we actually took video during the costume contest. And so we're hoping that'll be a fun kind of after the story kind of a thing so people can join in the fun. We're also going to have the tribute video up there. But if you did take pictures at the event and you are willing to release them to us to share um, in the hopes of raising funds to donate towards his children's trust fund, then uh, send an email to btw at specficmedia.com. And uh, we'll get that released to you and tell you how to send us the pictures and have you join our gallery. And we would greatly appreciate seeing more images. Just can't get enough of those. And um, another thing, one last thing, is um, a part of that gallery that we're going to post online from the video tribute um, at Balticon that we did. We, we have friend uh, Tony Miller created a Holyfield tie knot. And we've already got four or five people that have taken a picture and shared it with us. We're going to create a special gallery of things inspired by PG, and we're going to include Tony's video and the pictures of people that want to submit those. Again, btw at specficmedia.com, and the gallery's already started, so get busy. Chooch, I don't have one from you. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Has he worn a tie since? No, actually, I have not. No, he hasn't. He, he hasn't worn one this year, I don't think. <laughs> He's a lucky, lucky guy. <laughs> I, I did see that there were some people that were wearing these Holyfield knots to job interviews, which was really exciting. Oh, yes. Uh, graduations and yeah. just to work. I just, I think just thought that was neat. I, I totally agree. Every time I saw that, I'd be like, send me a picture. Yep, yep. <laughs> we must retain this. This is so cool. And I don't even think Tony has even really noticed that it's happening because I don't even have a picture of him in his tie knot. You know, I want to have like a good, a good photo. Like I've got of the other guys instead of just the shot from yeah. the angle of the video, but it's, it's really posted cool. a couple on, on Facebook, Facebook somewhere. Yeah. 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 It was, I think it was uh Tuesday after Balticon P tone was the first one that I saw and he was rocking the Holyfield knot and it was so cool. Yeah. Because he had never met PG. No. It was his first Balticon and he, Told me after the memorial, he's like, I never met the man, but I feel it. And so he was there and, you know, I was like, well, I wonder what people who didn't know him would think of this. Well, apparently it it, it moved him enough to do the not the, the very next day. Don't cry, Viv. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. It's just, it's just great because it's, it's like, happy. It's out there. It's happening. You know, he's still inspiring people. And that's just that's just awesome. And then yeah. so from there. I know Pick Jr. was like, can somebody send me the video? I want to do this. And and then um, August was like, I'm going to a job interview. I need to do this. It was really great. And they, and the pictures are fantastic, and they're all sharing them with me. So there will be nice, big, fat resolution pictures. And it's just it's just the silliest, I'm sure, you know, and he did it. He's like, I don't have any other way to express how I'm feeling except this. But it turned out to be something that anybody could easily watch the video and do. And it's kind of like a nod to PG. Plus, it's a pretty badass nod. I mean, when, it, yeah. when it's all done up, it's so yeah. elegant looking. Yeah. Um, I think we need to... Uh, answer sheriff bullock is already putting stuff in the <laughs> hangout, but it's for one of our announcements okay uh, so hold bullock tight sheriff said, give us a second is it something we need to, to announce no, before you I guys can do it. i can do okay. it also an announcement next week we're moving up the time of beyond the wall the podcast i co-host with the q a participants wherein we discussed specific media presents beyond the wall a game of thrones podcast <laughs> <laughs> 
But Sheriff Bullock, you may never, ever, ever complain about the length of our show. Because we do not want to silence you guys and shorten the oh, show. Oh, you haven't listened to Hoobblecast yet. Don't worry. He beats us. They go much mm. longer. Because I like to be able to just talk. Yeah. But yeah. No, Hoobblecast. Hoobblecast goes on. It's like generally three hours to record minimum. Yeah. That's like tea time. When we plan with to podcast with Team Morris, we'll say oh, 30 yeah. minutes. And you end up with three hours. And it's like, what happened? It come out in a fog. You let T on a microphone. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> so we also have Mike McCauley frantically waving to everyone. Hi, Mike. And Hi. he misses my weekly colored tongues. So. Aww. Yeah. That's so creepy. <laughs> what, Chooch? Said I need to quit nicotine again and then. Go back to trust the Jolly me, I'll be. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably do the Jolly Ranchers even without the uh, putting nicotine. Technically, mm-hmm. I could, but it's a motivation, see. Mm. That's his crutch. <laughs> and I'm happy that that's what it is. <laughs> I had a, before we start, I had a quick audio drop. Um, I think it was last night, you know, like swatching my Seth Meyers late night comedy. <laughs> my Seth Meyers is. <laughs> and so he was off last week and like went through. Europe and so he drops a Westeros bomb that kind of, or not a Westeros joke that bombs. But one of the places, uh, an actual city in Sweden is Westeros. Uh, I don't know if there's any Game of Thrones fans, but they so they were made an announcement like if you were trying to go to Westeros, you're never you can't get there anymore. Uh, and I thought, oh, now you're in the same boat as Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> He's waiting for everyone at home watching to stop laughing. <laughs> that awesome Game of Thrones joke. And... So, then, uh, they, this is all... <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Spectacular fail. It was spectacular. <laughs> oh, and I guess... Oh, I missed the initial setup. That the, the train he was waiting on had broken down, and then they started announcing all the cities that they weren't going to go to. Anymore with Westeros. <laughs> Oi. So, should we jump into the show? Let's yes. do. Yay. Yeah. Launch us, my man. Jump in, <laughs> and uh, we're going to go like we do sometimes, kind of area by area, because sometimes the plot really pushes you straight scene by scene, and sometimes that makes a little more sense to group them up. And we're going to start in Marine. Uh, we have uh, Jorah, Tyrion, and Danny talking. And oh my gosh. Uh, it doesn't go quite the way Jorah wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it it's interesting. Uh, you know, as I've said before on the podcast, I'm I've kind of always been of the feeling that uh Daenerys overreacted a bit mm-hmm. and that I was kind of I would, you know, be rooting for her to forgive him. But at the same time, you know, Tyrion makes a good case for basically, you know, he does seem to be sincerely devoted to you, but he didn't trust you to handle this information. Right. Um, And so even if he means well, and he is sincerely trying to help you, 
you can't trust him to let you know the things you're going to need to know. Right. And so it, yeah. And so I can see that case being made. And then there was also a little part of me that was thinking Tyrion is actually probably also better off if Jorah is not around. Yeah. <laughs> Cause uh, he, that way he doesn't have to fight with him or argue with him. Well, he's a wild card of like emo despair, you know, he's in love yeah. and he can't be with her. So even if he'd been allowed to stay, that wouldn't have been enough for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Chooch, what did you think of the, uh, the grayscale implication that, you know, they made a point of showing his wrist mm-hmm. with the grayscale. Yeah, for me, it was, you know, he's rejected. He's pushed out of the city again, looks down. Well, maybe was well head to Valeria. Yeah, yeah. But then I we mean, see that's it, not going to be his <laughs> choice. I mean, I, for one, was grateful when she said just take him out of the city and she didn't hug him goodbye or anything because, I mean, that's dangerous. And he showed, I mean, he proved Tyrion's point for him that, he may be devoted to her, but that doesn't mean he's going to do the right thing by her. And he could have done a very wrong thing by infecting her with grayscale as well. I mean, I don't know the Targaryen hereditary weakness to it, but, um, you know, and generally speaking, that wouldn't be cool. Well, definitely wouldn't be cool. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nani. I don't remember if they've established it on the show or not, but I believe that there... Like kind of like how she was able to go through the fire and be unburnt. Um, I think the Targaryens are supposedly immune to most diseases um, that people. But it whether or not it's really true or whether right. it's kind of just part of the mythology of the bloodline or not, I'm not sure. And I can't couldn't remember if they established that in the show or not. I, I just want to say, I think you're thinking of Slayers. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't think that they've really talked about that in, in the show. I don't think they've ever, but they've never mentioned she's gotten sick. So, you know, mm-hmm. and there you go. Um, I don't know if in the books they specifically said grayscale because it's, you only really start to learn about grayscale in, mm-hmm. in with dragons, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, we you know we had little snippets here and there, but it was made a bigger deal in in the in book five. Um, but I thought it was interesting because of course Jorah's looking at his arm and thinking, you know, okay, I've got an expiration date on me now. So what can I do with the time I have left? It seems he is interested in a glorious death i mean is that what he's going for or what else does he have in mind do you guys think i I think that's exactly it it's his blaze of glory what i mean what else is he going to do he can't go back to westeros and impact anything dying for his queen you know that's really all he's got left as far as he's letting this desperation take him over Mm mm-hmm um, I think he just wants to spend the last days that he has proving his devotion to uh, Daenerys. And he's like, you know what? What have I got to lose? I don't have much time to make a better plan. So let me just go out and go out well in her eyes, you know? He should have well, been listening was- to me and he should have been out there raising an army instead of getting drunk. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
I think Tyrion was really the star of that scene, though, because he was not only convincing and able to stay alive, but he actually gave her what I thought to be was very, very wise counsel because, I mean, she's freeing slaves. And wasn't he, you know, basically run out of town because he sold slaves? Jorah? Wasn't that his backstory? Yeah, yeah. He was banished from right. So the breaker of chains returning to Westeros with someone that was kicked out because of slave trading, I think in general would have been unwise. And I think that Tyrion proved in a lot of ways that he's more interested in in seeing what she's made of because she, we all know that Tommen's a bastard. They've said it on the show. So he's not the rightful heir, so to speak. And so then you look at who's left and I think it just throws a really interesting dynamic into it having Tyrion being such having that wise wise counsel that he gives being on her side i i told chooch i was like my mind is blown in my mind this has not ever happened i didn't even conceive of it as possibly happening so the fact that they're talking in the same room is freaking me right out (laughs) (laughs) and i just wondered chooch did you have that same opinion as a non i mean you read book one but you didn't read two three four five so did you have that similar feeling or did it seem like entirely possible within the realm of things that were storylines that were uh, crisscrossing. I think the only thing more monumental would be Danny and John meeting up. I think it's that big to me. Right. That's how I felt. I, I feel like for the first time, she actually has a counselor that can wisely guide her as she needs to know how to behave in Westeros. I mean, Tyrion's the man. He's He was at ground zero for the Battle Blackwater. You know, he's he, he's the right person to have at her right hand. Mm-hmm. I did so find it I'm interesting that good. she said escort Sir Jorah from here or before she had only ever said him or hmm. I don't know it means anything. <laughs> well, I think, I think it, I, I don't, I don't know if it was really like intended to be a big thing, but I think it, it, it means something just in the sense of, the context there is like she was ready to say, I I kill him. And like I don't even want to acknowledge his existence as a person because that's too painful to comprehend. And even though Tyrion's ultimate advice was to not let him stick around, he reminded her, like, it's like, look, I'm an unbiased third party here. I have observed this guy's behavior. And I can tell you that he is sincerely devoted to you. He means it. He was not tricking you. And I think being reminded of that and having a third party confirm that made it all a little bit more complicated in her head again. It it forced her to, it broke through this idea that she was able to just sort of pretend she had a blinder there and that she was talking about him as though he's out, not in the room. Well, and I feel like she's also stuck in this place like she wasn't last episode where she says, I don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of a queen would I be if I broke my promises? Yeah. And she she is right in in the one regard that him being there definitely has a lot to do with how things look. Um, But at the same time, like Tyrion helps her work through this. It's no, no, no. You do have a choice. Let's work through the options. Let's figure this out. And he kind of proves his worth just right there, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I think he also really impressed her 
by not immediately fawning all over her. You know, this idea of like, well, hang on, I haven't decided that I'm, I want to follow you yet. And she's like, well, then why even come here? And then he tells this whole story that proves that he knows a lot about history. He knows a lot about her and her background. So he's demonstrating already that he's got this wealth of knowledge that would come in very handy. But then just finishing with that, you know, and Varys convinced me that you might well be the one best hope for a peaceful time. Mm-hmm. Thought you were worth meeting at least. <laughs> He's good. I love him so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I I have to just agree that in general, like with with Chooch, and I again because it's happened in the show now. I don't think it's a spoiler to say this has not happened in the books. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was and, one of my questions. It hasn't happened at all. No, it, it hasn't at all. In fact, it doesn't even seem like it's super close either. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, it's so it's it's this whole you know without getting into the other stuff yet. This whole episode was full of new and exciting things for <laughs> even for us book readers. Wow. So uh, she, he, Tyrion becomes her advisor, and she gives the. Oh, I pulled it because it was like one of the lines of the episode, which I think may have been in the preview or the trailer. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell—they're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. It's a beautiful dream, stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Uh, I loved... I, I found myself, like, in Tyrion's shoes during all of these scenes, which is interesting just because when you have these two prominent characters that you kind of identify with in e- either of their scenes and having them now combine, it's like, well, which one are you going to feel in the shoes with? I felt more in the shoes of Tyrion. Um, but I love, I would just imagine him thinking as she's saying that, it's like, on the one hand, he's got these cynical instincts that's going to say, you're going to break the, real, the wheel? Come on. What does that even mean? Like, that's just words. But on the other hand, there's going to be a part of him who's thinking, it's like, well, you know, if anyone could do it, I think maybe this might be the girl. A Targaryen with three dragons. Mm Kind of got to take a look at that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. So we'll be looking at an empire and no more. Yeah. Great stuff. I love these scenes between them. I'm so excited for that to proceed because it, I, it feels like something, like Chuch was saying, it feels like something we've wanted to happen almost like since the beginning. It's fan candy. Yes, <laughs> it is. We want the characters we like to get together. It's been a rough season. I'll take it any way I can get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to call it fan service because it's not. It's fan <laughs> candy. Like, this is exactly what we want. It's it's like, sorry, I know it's been a couple of tough weeks, so let's make it up to you a little bit. And it's not even the only thing like that in this episode. Yeah, sorry about that <laughs> rape of Sansa. How's this? Let's <laughs> <laughs> head over to Bravos. Oh, well, we, no. we do that. Yeah. I think Christiana's going to say, we've got some comments in the Q&A. Um, well, there is that. Although I was also just going to say, I had a little bit more to say about Jorah's 
selling himself back to oh, yeah. the, the fighter. Because on the one hand, it's one thing to say, okay, he wants to continue fighting for his queen, but it's a super passive aggressive way to do it. He knew that she didn't want to reopen the fighting pits. And the only reason she did it is because she felt like it, she was forced into it for political reasons that she is personally very philosophically opposed to it. And so for him to say, oh, I'm going to fight for like what in her honor or something in these grand games, like that's very passive aggressive. I thought not to mention grayscale is crazy contagious. Yeah. What is he doing? It seems very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I think I think he's very selfish at this point, and he doesn't realize what he's doing, especially because mm. he is giving up his freedom. He says, you can have me as a slave, and yeah. he doesn't realize what that means because he thinks I'm on top right now. And I think that my wish of having Sir Jorah actually living as a slave is going to happen, and he's going to feel it. And I, I, I really hope that happens. But you're right. Grayscale super contagious, and he's just stupid at making plans. <laughs> well, and I'm just going to throw this out there just real quick, and then we can move on. I know Chooch is dying to move on. Um, is Does grayscale impact the brain function? You know, is that maybe helping him make these shitty decisions? Maybe he's got a little bit of a brain fog. We don't know enough about grayscale, about, do we, at this point? At this point, we don't know. I don't think so, and it certainly seems, obviously, when it's full on you're no longer you well yeah yeah you're crazy because they've banished you to this island <laughs> we did have gilly's description of when some of her sisters had it right, and it right. sounded then like it did eventually start the mind going but that was more of an end stage thing gotcha but at the same time who's to say it would just it would be present but just less obvious yeah. all throughout yeah. It could be and maybe he, like how Lyme's disease affects the brain. Like you don't really realize it and you think people are just acting a little touch out of character. And then you realize, wait, they had Lyme's disease all during that time. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's mm. why they did what they did. Yeah. But, but I still think this is in, in Jorah's character. Yeah. I, I think so too. It's, it's, that's kind of been his deal all along is that like he is devoted to her, but in a very selfish way. Yeah. Romance novel cover model. <laughs> um, and he's decided to become a slave again. That's like his penance for all well, the wrongs I, he's I done. think he thinks he's going to die soon. I think he's thinking, okay, the grayscale is like, I'm on my way out anyway. And so he doesn't, he's not thinking about anything long-term. He feels like, well, he's either going to get killed in the fighting pit or the grayscale will take him soon enough. I don't think he's really contemplating any anything longer than maybe a couple weeks out yeah um, right on. we do have some comments in the q a yeah. though. Uh, we have tim dodge who says uh uh Tyrion was great in both of his big scenes this episode uh and then he also uh said uh um uh i liked Tyrion's line to her we're going to need a whole lot more wine than this when he's <laughs> about like, like, look, if you want to know why I killed my father, this is not, yeah, I'm going to need to be way more drunk. I also um, like how she stops him. She's like, I need to talk to you about plans while you still have a clear head. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Mike McCauley says, what was the line? We're two horrible children of two horrible fathers. Great line. I think he, she, he actually said terrible, but uh, still also agreed. Great line. Agreed. Yeah. Excuse yeah, me. lots in common. 
<laughs> Siblings. Hmm. Yeah. Well, here's here's a question I put in my notes, though, and maybe just as a brief one, because we're ready to move on. But uh, terrible. She she asks the question, I'm terrible. And 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 so uh, so that's the question. Is Daenerys terrible? Sometimes. I mean, there's two different standards in my mind. There's the standards as a, of a politician slash dictator slash ruler, which is her standard. And then there's like the standard humanity scale where we don't decide the fates of others. Um, on the humanity scale, she's she's pretty horrible. She, we just watched her feed somebody to a dragon because he didn't agree with her mm-hmm. and wouldn't do what she wanted. But as a ruler, I think that it was a necessary deed. So on that scale, I find her to be so far, at least in my opinion, so far, she's been a just ruler and she's she's made what I think are the wise decisions as hard as they were. Yeah, that's my vote. Not terrible. <laughs> Tyrion saying I've heard some things and she's definitely hasn't had a perfectly smooth. <laughs> well, in the stories I'm sure he's hearing are things like, you know, locking Zaro in a vault on her way out of um mm-hmm. what was not not Pentosa but um uh what was Karth. Karth, yes and then of course uh you know wait what was it Karth Karth okay that was in end of season two um and then of course you know buying all the unsullied and then having them kill all the masters in Astapor you know toppling Yukai on her way to Marine so I you know those are some things that could be called terrible from okay. an outside perspective, not in a terrible, like, like a quality sense, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, well done versus terribly done. But the idea of terrible as in like inspiring terror. And, yeah. Dragons yeah. eating children. Great concept. Awful execution kind of a thing. <laughs> or even not even awful necessarily. It just depends on what impression you're trying to convey. <laughs> um. I, I think that basically what we're searching for here is that she is definitely one of the lesser evils. Right. <laughs> yeah. From yeah, those I, that were in power. Yeah. But the greater good. I wouldn't even the call her a lesser good. evil necessarily as much as just she is doing good in a way that has a lot of collateral damage. Yeah. She, cause what she did in Astapor was free a whole lot of slaves and kill the evil people who, kept slaves and did the horrible things to the unsullied and mm-hmm. like children, but it's certainly an extreme measure mm-hmm. and could be called terrible by the people who are sympathetic to the masters. Mm. But she also freed a bunch of slaves, which I don't think we even call that a lesser evil. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. But, but you know, just, uh, just because someone does a great and noble deed, does that mean you forgive everything they've done in the past? Well, I'm just saying I feel like she's still on the side of the angels, broadly speaking. <laughs> she's just leaving a, a path of damage in her wake is all. In the Westerosi culture, you know. Well, really in our culture, too, if you look at dictators <laughs> that mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it's like uh, to shake up the status quo, you have to tear down, you know, like to build something better, you have to tear down what's there. And the people who like the status quo and benefit from it don't like that. And they call you terrible. 
The status, status is, is not quo. quo. <laughs> 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 Chooch. Haha, Dr. War will beat you. Uh, but so can we talk about Aria? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, I think her talking about breaking the wheel is definitely on that right path. I agree. I know that there's some criticism that the description of the wheel is not how Westeros is. It's just recent events that while the Targaryens ruled, that wasn't really what it was. But it doesn't matter. It's a good idea. It's a good it's a good mentality. You know, she's not there. For the, she's not going to Westeros for the nobles. Right. And that's why we like Daenerys. That's right. She's Aria. a person of the people. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, Lana? Lana, yeah, Lana. What, Shooch? Bravos! Oh, yes. Where Arya gets a job. Yeah. <laughs> I hated this part of the book because I hate emotionless Arya. I hate mm-hmm. the faceless thing. I gotta say I hate it. But she rocked it. Not surprisingly. Shooch, what did you think of the scene? I, I found it interesting because as you see her in the in character she's mm-hmm. happy and interacting with people and all that so that's nice yeah. to see it sucks that i mean to me it's still her like i don't see you know um mm-hmm. just the way that she observes things and and all that it's still aria mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah she hasn't and just like the other girl you know she's not ready yet and he's like oh we'll see mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well, she's not, i think meh. I, the many, so he said something like, um, it matters not to the many faced God or something like that. And it was like, Hmm, I, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should let her in on that part. Cause she thinks that, you know, she's, it was like, I thought the most interesting, um, line from that scene, if I knew what you'd see, I wouldn't have to send you. So he doesn't really know what she'll see, what, what will catch her eye. And what will, you know, all that stuff. I, I don't know if it was a test like that was like the gambler, the skinny man was like the only thing out there for her to find. Mm-hmm. Or if it was that specifically so that, you know, she would he would see if she was quick witted enough to spot the injustice or whatever and bring it to him. I thought of it kind of like independent study. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she has a she has a faculty advisor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Giving her guidance. But it's basically she came back with a story about this guy and he says Mm. oh well let me tell you a little more about this guy what do you think about that and so if she had seen something else maybe it would have been a different assignment yeah i had a pulled his line she will make a fine servant for the many-faced god how will she serve him she will no longer turn left onto ragman lane she will turn right and go to ragman harbor what will she do there she will see see what how can a man tell a girl this? If he knew what she would see, there would be no reason to send her. He is just so compelling. I swear to God. Even though he's got like the creep stank on him now because of him saying, eh, many face God, man, whatever. You know, but I mean, it's he's just so compelling. Am I alone in that? Uh, no. And in fact, actually, I didn't even think that, you know, that, that one line uh, doesn't matter. I, I feel like... I read that more as like the, the, the waif, this other, this other girl has kind of already made it clear that she doesn't like Arya very much. And so I kind of felt like Jacken is saying, well, I think she's ready. You disagree. Yeah. We'll find out. 
That's interesting because I read that completely as the opposite. I read that as the other girl. I, I don't. There's been no name, I guess. Yeah. But the other girl about her age that's there with Jock N, like I thought that she finally was like, oh, wait a minute. He's sending her out. She's not ready for this. And so I thought I saw genuine concern from her mm, and, and Jock N the other way. But I, I haven't read the book. So. I read. No, I, it's what different. About you, Chooch? What about you, Chooch? Uh, I'm just curious how he read it, too. Because I believe me, I know that I have an opinion that doesn't always mesh up. Yeah, I took it as, you know, why is she going out? <laughs> yeah, more that not definitely not concern. And I like Christiana's thought there of, um, yeah, that's I really like how that works. It, it makes more sense to me just in the sense that it's one thing to say that he's being fatalistic about it to say, well, I'm sending her out. And if she fails, then it turns out then she, that she was not what I was hoping that she would be and to be kind of fatalistic about it. But I feel like if he didn't think she was ready, he wouldn't send her out because what is the point? Well, I think, I think, I think I'm coming at it from more of a, he is somebody that sits and takes whatever kind of confession or whatever occurs before he gives him the drink from the well or whatever it's called. And so I think that he has his own mission. I don't think that he's there to rescue Arya. I don't see him as a savior to Arya. I see him as someone on Arya's path who may or may not be helpful to her and I don't, I haven't, I haven't decided yet since we've gotten there. I haven't I, decided yet. I don't think he's a savior to her. I think he's training her to be a, a faceless man. And I'm well, saying right, I don't think he's ready for that. By savior, I mean somebody that's going to protect her and look out over her in, 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 in any kind of way that would overshadow his responsibilities. That's all I'm saying is I haven't decided if he's, if he's chaotic, if we're, forget chaotic, I haven't decided if he's good or neutral in on Arya's behalf because he has his own mission to serve. That's all I'm saying. I don't, I'm not trying to insult him or anything, and I don't think we're going to agree. So I'm fine to disagree well, on it. I was just surprised that you read it that way because, yeah. from, to my mind, it's not even a good thing. It's just practical. <clears throat> it's like he's training her. Yeah. He's giving her an assignment because he right. thinks she's ready. And yep. one of his colleagues questioned yep. him on it, and he said, we'll see. Yep. It's not good or helping Arya. It's not being a savior. Well, it's not being. It's not a moral judgment. It's it's practical. They've spent all this time on her. If he didn't think she was ready, then why wouldn't like? Because they made her wash the corpses forever, and then until she. I, passed I don't. I don't. I don't have answers for why I feel the way I feel. That's just how I took it. That's just okay. my opinion. We we can move on because I I don't know how else to say it. We can just, honey bunny. I know we're going to disagree sometimes. It's part of the fun, my little <laughs> kiss okay. my fire girl. <laughs> like as she gets the recon, he gives her the the details behind the guy, which so obviously he was lying when he didn't know what she was going to see. Um, or he was being cryptic, like you were saying. Um, and so basically now it's revealed that they're the A-team. Where do you go when <laughs> you have no recourse? You get a call. I'm sure they've been accused of things they've never committed. Yeah. I, I I have no, I don't even, I can't figure out where, um, I haven't even figured out yet where 
their temple or whatever it is, their building where they revere the many-faced God and dispense out this tasty, delicious Kool-Aid. But I haven't figured out yet how it figures into the rest of the land. So I don't know if they're like, is it like the Septon and the, and you know, and all of that, or is it just like some random cult? So it's, it's kind of confusing me because I haven't seen yet where they fit into it all. Are they vigilantes? Are they um, do-gooders? You know, it's, it's to me, it's that, and I guess that's why I take it that I take the black and the white as the only symbols that we've seen so far as being very powerful and very yin and yang. And there's a lot of dark that comes with light. So even if it's something that we are cheering for Arya for attain, obtaining, she's going to have to go through some shit like washing corpses <laughs> and handing out special juice to, to gamblers, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I think the House of Black and White is a known quantity in Bravos. Um, and we've seen this from the way people reacted when they saw um, uh, Jacques and... I, earlier and the way that they react around it that this is something it's a known quantity it is something to be respected it's also or something to be feared feared they is what i that they can it. go there for salvation and for the gift of death but there's also that sinister quality of yeah sometimes someone else will go there for your death and so this is where the fear comes from and the question is are they assassins for hire? Maybe. Right. Are they assassins who will do this for you if your cause is good enough? Like the A team? Maybe. Again, again, you know, yeah. are they police? Are they a police or a, or a national guard type thing, or are yes. they just random vigilantes? It's it's, it's a very fun uh, situation. Um, I'm not sure why they changed the name that she goes by, why they're calling her Lana. Um, in the books, it was Cat, and it was a little homage to her mom. Right, right. I remember. Um, but I guess that was kind of like a, a sign that Arya hadn't really let go yet. Yeah. And maybe in the show she has. Uh, maybe that's the difference. Well, I think and, the visual of her dumping, uh, protecting Needle would, probably did the same as having to hear that name over and over again <laughs> would have been on the show, you know? And, um, well, yeah. And, and she saves Needle in the book, too. Right. Which I was so happy. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is, um, in the books, she's changing her face at this point. And she's not doing that yet in the show. And I wonder if that's just because, hello, it's Maisie freaking Williams, and they're not going to have some other actress. Oh, oh spoiler. I think we're going into spoiler stuff. I don't want to talk about what she's going to do next, what it says. No, I mean, because we don't know what they're going to do next on the show. Huh? I talked about what's happened. When she was cat of the canals, she was wearing a different face. I didn't right. interpret it that way, but I may just be misremembering. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway. So, um... I just there's there's a couple of little things, but I think that, you know, she is a star and that's what's going on. Well, and and let me say I threw up the spoiler flag, but who the fuck knows what they're going to do compared to the book? So, you know, maybe she'll be maybe, you know, if if the book because I'm not I don't I remember that part of the book, which is one of the reasons I dreaded this season because I didn't like her journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm very protective of her in case you haven't noticed, in case that didn't come across. I don't trust anybody that's been a protector for her. It's been horrible for her all along. So they have to prove their worth in my mind. So if I seem protective against Chuck and that's why, but, um, 
she's such a different character than I, than I saw her from in the book. She's far more empowered in the show than she was in the book. So I'm excited to see how far they're going to take that. And I'm also a little bit kind of terrified because she's really, her portrayal is just so encompassing. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to say is uh, her outfit and everything with her as Lana selling the oysters is what I saw Somebody had posted this. It was like on the cover of EW or something like that. And they're like, they keep saying it's Arya Stark, but I see no one. <laughs> and so I was just, I was like, that's the outfit, <laughs> which I thought was really cute. I like the outfit. I like the way she's doing her hair. Mm-hmm. Just had to add that. Um, maybe it's just my own wishful thinking, but uh, I'm not as bothered by the appearance of Arya acting emotionless, partly just because Maybe this is just headcanon and I and wishful thinking and not real. But what I like to think is that she is learning how to completely disguise her emotional responses and everything. And that can include acting emotionless for Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. Oh, she absolutely must. That's how she yeah. progresses. Right. But what I mean is I don't think she is emotionless. I think she's acting emotionless for their benefit. Mm -hmm. She did needle. She didn't get rid of it like she was constructed. And so that tells me that she's really holding on to part of herself inside. Mm -hmm. She's not completely giving herself over. Right. Yeah. I think perhaps that's not necessarily her, her goal, you know, and that's why he was swatting her earlier that, you know, you want to become nobody and, she lied um Mm -hmm. you know her goal is to not is to be powerful be uh able to To survive even yeah um and you know i'm sure she still has a list of names so (laughs) so yeah i think it's this is her you know she is just taking this as training to go back and fulfill her bigger goals hmm that's my hope. <laughs> so what's next? Well, I like what Tim Dodge also said in the uh in the in the Q&A there. Mm-hmm. What is that? Jack and his one maddening conversation partner. Yeah. For real. <laughs> but he's super cool to look at. I mean, yum. <laughs> <laughs> he's got it all. He's got the accent, he's got the hair, the mystery. Mhm. <laughs> Next up, we'd head over to King's Landing, where we get a lot of Cersei time and the the mm-hmm. Burly Nun or Septa or whatever they would be called in that fanatic. Septa. Septa. I didn't know since they're fanatics. I didn't know if they had some. Well, that's special. true. They might have uh, some equivalent of Sparrow that is different, but I don't know. Although Sparrow was a label that was put on them, so yeah. But yeah, so she's having a difficult time for sure. She's still defiant for now, though. She's mm-hmm. not broken. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't take a lesson easily. Not even like a water ladle slap to the face will straighten her out. She is very, very devout in her belief that she's not going to hand over a single truth. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tricky in this case because even though, you know, as Kyburn mentions, there's this idea that you can... And and this was explored in the episode where she got arrested, this idea that you can confess prior to the trial and get the mother's mercy, which is uh, 
it's like what we saw the high septum go through, um, although it could vary depending on what the crimes are. So that would be able to get her out of the cells, as Kyburn suggests, but would probably not be pleasant and also does not necessarily let her off the hook. One of the crimes she is accused of is regicide. Um, even if she confesses and goes for the, you know, the mother's mercy, that does not mean that she is free and clear. It just means she gets to come out of the cell until the trial. And, well, the and not just regicide, thing. but incest mm-hmm. and the idea that her son is a bastard and not yeah. really the king, which is ultimately the worst thing. Well, it's also not super clear if that's actually what she's being accused of or whether she's just being accused of sleeping with Lancel. This is true. Mm. Yeah. Though I suppose questioning her officially, you know, could lead mm. to those other yeah. things coming out. I certainly think it would during a trial. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you slept with Lancel. Who else have you slept with? No. <laughs> so tell me about those rumors Stannis keeps talking about you know like you know that's going to come up during a confession and if they don't believe that she's being truthful I don't think that they would count her confession and I don't think that they would let it go mm-hmm. so uh the Kyburn visit creepy mm-hmm. <laughs> creepy McShadows <laughs> yes, he's uh, providing lots of uh, critical bits of uh, exposition for us. Uh, so Kevin Lannister, Tywin's brother, has returned to the capital and taken charge, but won't come to see her. Well, Kevin's uh, coming. Py- yeah, Pycelle's taking charge. Of the, yeah, that's what he said. I interpreted that Pycelle sent for Kevin, who has since arrived and taken charge. That's oh. how I interpreted yeah. Maybe well, I just heard it, but that's I, 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 I assume that Kevin was on his way and Pycelle is his holding the reins until he gets there. Regardless, neither of them were coming to visit her. Yeah. yeah. That, and that was the point. Kyburn had spoken that to him and he said, no, I'm not coming. And Tommen won't see anybody. And, and I mm-hmm. had to think, is he telling the truth? <laughs> you know, we don't know. Tommen? Anything else could possibly be going on. Maybe he's taking control. That's Who, what I was. Tommen or Kyburn. Like he could be completely lying to her. He's the only one who comes to see her. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we don't know he's telling the truth. That's right? true. I hadn't thought of that. Well, I think I he also is. Also, just like I reacted when she's going, "You have to go talk to Tommen," and I'm thinking, "Who? Are you? Think who you're asking?" <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you want this guy to go comfort Tommen? And advise. Yeah. And start collecting yeah. nail clippings and such. But she she's desperate because he's the only one she's got. Right yeah, now. she doesn't have anybody well, else to talk to about this. And and it's her own damn fault. You know, she's sitting there licking the floor and hoping to survive. And hopefully she's smart enough to realize that it's her own plan to keep Tommen away from Marjorie and convince him not to go to the Black Cells no matter what. He's not coming. He's not coming out for her any more than he came out for the woman he was banging. And and I and I agree that um, he was super. Kyburn was super creepy. And when he did that last line, the work continues. Yikes! Are you worried about Tom and Chooch? No, no. That what that turned to me is that he is telling the truth. He is on her side, and the okay. work is whatever's under that sheet. Right. But as a, I agree with you there. But as a general thing, do you agree that um, that he is 
there for her? Or are you mm-hmm. saying that he's he's like actually pulling the rug under her feet? For some reason, I took that as a confirmation that it's their project. The work continues and he's still on her side. Right on. That's kind of how I took it, too. Um, although I enjoyed it, I felt like um, these scenes felt largely to me kind of like placeholder scenes to allow us to have so the next time we see her we want to have the sense that she's been there for a while and so these scenes were mostly just to give us a couple of updates of this is what's going on while she's in there and she has been there for a while so that we can have the next story beat take place after that so there wasn't a lot that happened here as much as it was just so that they can show it's been a while next time I feel like this episode more than any other made me quite aware how much time is passing. Um, This episode feels like lots of weeks have happened in one episode and that there's been a lot of things that happened since last episode. Whereas last week we were talking about how it didn't feel like that much time had passed. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, so a lot of time has passed. You know, John's all the way at a hard home. Arya's halfway through this training. Cersei's all messed up in this, uh, the, 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 you know, in the jail. And the only thing that seems not to be taking a long time is, you know, because Danny and Tyrion and Jorah start right away. But most of the whole episode, it just feels like it's going over many weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They, in Marine, they basically walk from the pits to the throne room. Yeah. Although um, with uh, Cersei, if they're really prevent, like not giving her any water at all, it would probably only take a couple of days for her to be as dehydrated as she seems to be. Um, but uh, at the same time, if they're doing that whole thing where they pour it on the floor and she could suck it off the stones, then um, maybe it stretches it out a little bit. <laughs> and I'm thinking they didn't start out by starving her. I'm thinking they started by giving her food and they slowly took things away more and more until she would confess. And she's now at the point where they're giving her nothing and she won't confess. The work continues. Indeed. We've got a couple of comments. <laughs> It's another Sheriff Bullock for Nutty to read. Because it's <laughs> oh got boy, the weird pronunciations. On. Let's see. I wanted, Sheriff Bullock, I wanted to mention that I was ordained online by the Universal Life Church as priest of her Lord, the Lord of Light. So if Cersei wants to confess anything to me, I will totally not judge her because her Lord is chill like that. Ugh, incest? Uh, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Just makes me think, though, that I, I, I think the Lord of Light doesn't seem super uptight about that sort of thing. After all, he directed Melisandre to sleep with Stannis to make a shadow baby to kill Renly. Doesn't yeah. seem like he's too uh, too much of a prude as a uh, as a divine being. I'm thinking the Lord of Light tends to have similar interests as the people, as his priests and priestesses. That's just my idea. I think well, that's true with most religions, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I said this in the in the panel when we were talking. Uh, let's see, I don't remember if this was the one where we talked about religion or if it was the other panel at Balticon. But uh, <laughs> well, so this is not a spoiler, but it's just my my theory is that the Lord of Light is not actually like an actual like personified deity as much as all of the different red priests are tapping into some more universal force. 
Mm-hmm. They're all just attributing because they all claim to be following the Lord of Light, and yet all these different priests seem to be at on completely different pages as far as what the Lord of Light wants. They've got their marching orders, and that's all they've. It's like you know what you need to know, and no more, or something like that. Well, but I mean, they're not even wanting the same thing. We saw the red priest in um, Volantis that said it was all about Daenerys. And then we've got Melisandre supporting Stannis, and then we've got uh, Thoros who was helping out Beric. There, the the Red Priests are don't all seem to want the same thing. Well, I mean, and I'm just I, I'm just speculating totally here, but what if what the the what Lol showed them at Dragonstone, what or Lord of Light showed them at Dragonstone? was what he needed them to see as far as moving forward, making the shadow babies, you know, torturing Gendry with the leeches on his wiener, whatever it was. Well, this um, is all speculation. I mean, well, I don't yeah, know. But no, but I, no, I was just going to say that maybe he's utilizing them like different tools in a toolbox. Like, like you, I need you to get this guy to the north with an army so that the White Walkers don't, take over i mean i don't think we know yet what lol's intentions really are are they mm-hmm. i mean where do they fit with the many-faced god and all the other gods into will they ever fit like religions now most of them don't fit with each other if you ask the, the followers so i don't i just it's it's the religion the fact that they're taking on so many uh religion discussions and um concepts on i think it's really interesting it's holding my interest for a while anyways yeah <laughs> I was. This was just a theory. I don't. I. I'm not saying there's not possible alternate explanations. Right on. Got a comment from Mike McCauley, who loved watching her trying to suck the water off the floor because he hates her. <laughs> and Sheriff Bullock thinks Mike. It wouldn't it be hilarious if we got a shot of her drinking, drinking up the water through a huge silly straw, crazy straw. Um. I th- I said this a couple of episodes ago, but uh, like this storyline is not my favorite. I mean, it's it's nice to see Cersei taken down a notch, at least in the sense that like this is all her own doing, and so right. there's some Schadenfreude eggs. But I don't know. <laughs> I I like I'm. This is not a huge complaint as much as just to say that this whole storyline about the faith militant and that element of it. I don't like very much. It's not a big complaint. It's more just like this is not my favorite storyline from the from the books. I agree. Well, you know, they need something to do until Danny gets there. <laughs> I I was just gonna say, I, for me, this whole storyline it's like distraction. It's keeping everyone in King's Landing busy while really big epic things are happening elsewhere. Because what are they going to do? Oh, there's there's this huge thing going on up at the wall and over at Essos, this is happening and in Dorne, this is happening. And there's all these crazy things happening and we're in King's Landing. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know what function it's serving in yeah. the larger story. I just don't like it as much as all. Oh, I can get that. Are we ready to head north? Mm-hmm. Head up to Winterfell. Sansa and Reek have some conversations um, mm-hmm. right off the bat. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why what? <Yeah. laughs> I, I like this. This was, was a scene that d- did not indicate that a lot of time had passed because she was this. This felt like the next morning. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
just kind of there's a little bit of a dude WTF um, <laughs> moment. And I thought it was interesting that she she's getting more of a sense of what actually happens to him. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, not only just him describing some of the things that he he suffered, but also like, why is he acting this way? And so the, this idea that I told because he would have found out you would not have successfully gotten away and it would have been worse if you tried. So it's better if I just told him and he stopped you before anything else happened. And, and so this idea that he, he thinks of Ramsey as though, um, as though he's like omniscient, which we could, uh, we could imagine that why he would feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. He set, set so many traps for him to make Mm -hmm. him sure he feels that way. Well, we even discussed whether or not we thought the whole candle thing was really one of Ramsey's mind games. So we're kind of almost (laughs) on that same page. Damn. That is going to leave some long-term scarring. (laughs) That season. (laughs) All the flatness. So, but she (laughs) learns that uh, her her brothers are alive. That is the biggest news. That is so great. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that does not happen in the books yet. And oh. for obvious reasons, because Sansa is not there, right? So mm-hmm. Theon has not run into any other Starks. And and so this happening is like, you know, he says those boys and I'm like, it's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen. Goosebumps. Oh my gosh, it's going to happen. And yeah. I'm getting so excited. Um I guess that it was going to happen because they showed the burned kids in the preview. Right. Oh, the last, previously on, they, they showed that scene. So I guess that that was going to happen. But um, I think in the books, obviously, Sansa's not there. She so doesn't tell anyone. I think in the book, it might be only Ramsey that knows because Ramsey was there when it happened in the books. Mm. Yeah. Um, posing as the original Reek mm-hmm. is a whole complicated thing in the books. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Roos knows at all. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, Ramsey knows because he was directly involved when it went down in the books, but I don't think he's told anybody else that we're aware of. Yeah. And everybody who's there, he killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or yeah, Ramsey killed rather. Like everybody is dead that was was at Winterfell. Right. So that's big. Winter hell. <laughs> it totally is now, though. It's interesting, though. I was, like, trying to put myself in the shoes of Sansa, though. And just think this, like, even though it's obviously a big deal to hear that they didn't die when I thought they did. Mm. But there's this very valid question of, well, then where are they? Yeah. Because surely, like, are we really going to say that we wouldn't have heard anything like, well, clearly we haven't, I guess, but at the same time, it's, it seems like the most reasonable conclusion for them to come to, to me was nobody found them because they really are dead somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so they had bodies to replace them. Like in her position, that would be the most reasonable explanation for her to come yeah. to. Well, and I think she's kind of resigned to the idea that Arya is dead. Um, 
they never found Arya. They never heard mm-hmm. of her again. And everyone at King's Landing was just saying she was dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't want to admit that they had lost her. So yeah. it was. Sorry. Brienne knows, though. And Brienne is yeah. hiding outside Winterfell. This is true. This is true. It was just almost, I mean, every time Sansa is given a thread of hope, I just, it makes me cringe because how many times has she got her hopes up as far as she knew up until this moment? John was the only sibling she had left alive that she could confirm was still alive, right? Mm-hmm. Until, until Reek slash when he was confessing from what I picked up anyways, which I thought was an interesting peek into how he's cracking from old Theon to new Reek mm-hmm. and, and how that's peeking through. And I can't wait. We decided at Balticon that Christiana and Nettie and I were going to get together one time without Chooch. And whether we recorded it live and put it somewhere else or what, they were going to spoil the hell out of me on what happened up through book five. Because I am so confused on the timeline with what they're doing now. But that would be an interesting is thing to hear from you, is since I can't read the books right now, is if you could fill me in on what we know about Theon at this point in the books, the end of book five. Which we'll we'll have to do offline because we don't do spoilers here, but... <laughs> that conversation's coming, and I don't know. We need to decide if we want to put that out there. Uh, it, yeah, so we can definitely do that. Although, again, like with so many of the other storylines, we are rapidly approaching the point where we won't have any advanced knowledge anymore. Yes. Not yeah. to mention the fact that they could just change it anyway. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was going to mention this. Um, actually, I meant to mention this earlier, and I forgot. Uh George was quoted in in an article this week talking about all of the characters missing from the show that he is not happy about. Oh, really? And I'm not going to go into all of the details, but we have discussed many of these and some of them, you know, some of them he was just, you know, I, I, I don't like the way the story goes without the character. And then some of them, he's like, no, there's a really good reason why I put that in there. Yeah. And they're completely ignoring it. And you can't quite have the same outcome. Right. Without these characters and without this storyline. So I think it's very telling that they're not following specific characters yeah. that he thinks are essential to the end game. That and there's so much speculation about how his end game is going to be different from what he had told the show when the series started because so much has changed in the writing, but we'll have to get the next book to really see what's going on. Uh, I I read an article about that interview and I didn't interpret it the same way you just described it. I, I gathered that they asked him of the characters that are not included in the TV show, which ones do you miss the most? And he answered the question, which is different than saying, these are things that he is unhappy about. You see what oh, I mean? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's more along those lines, but he did get quite upset about a certain LS character. Well, quite um, upset. Or did he just think that that's the one he misses the most? I, I don't know. I, it seemed, it seemed to me like he was not happy with it because of certain things that he thinks it, it needs. Well, saying you can't have the same outcome seems like, it would be upsetting to an author. <laughs> well, but we knew, I think that we knew that there was going to be a divergence when they started the series before he'd gotten anywhere near finishing the series. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this we're now hitting the wall that we all knew was going to come where the book where where the books have taken us and where the TV show is taking us, because as a different medium, you know, it has a totally different kind of motivation. Mm-hmm. He's writing a story that he needs to tell. They're filming a show that they need to be successful to be able to continue. And so they've got a lot to weigh in there. And. Uh, they're, they they have to end differently. There's no way that they can be in lockstep through this process. I was waiting to see if Chooch showed up again. I saw him go out coughing and I was like, is he still alive? Do I need to go in there? <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, we're paying the price now, I think of loving something and, and not waiting until it's all done and finished before starting the TV show. And it's, it's, it's great for both sides because everybody's going to want to see everything that happens in the show and then all the book readers are going to want to go and see everything that happened in the book and fight about the differences, you know? I think it's I think it's interesting, although it's mm-hmm. I understand him being upset when his baby is being, you know, chopped up and rearranged and stuff. Yeah, I think I think um when I use the word upset, I don't mean angry, if that makes sense. Um I felt that there was definitely like some passion in there, which is why I use the word upset. Um but also it could have to be that most of the people he mentioned are people that I was unhappy about. <laughs> and that's what you, yeah. So I, I could be putting myself more into that, but I, I mm-hmm. definitely want to stress that when I say upset, I don't mean angry. Well, regardless, this is a show of opinions and we're not, you know, we're not going to hold you to strict reporting guidelines, you know. Um, that's that's well, really all I do is report on how I interpret and feel things. And I think that's what we all want to hear from each other too. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to report my own my own take on the article. Yeah, no, that was great. not that he was upset in any yeah. way, but rather that they asked him, "How do you feel about some of these characters being omitted?" And he probably said, "Well, well, they omitted this one character, which I, you know, she has a big role in the later books, and so uh, uh, the so <laughs> I." Uh, you know, so that could have a big impact. Yeah. But I, I, I interpreted it more as he's answering the question and not that he is upset by it okay. in any way. And so in that, in that's how I read it. So I didn't get any kind of an emotional tone from it in my read of the article, but uh, I could be wrong. I, I think though that the, they could, it doesn't even necessarily mean that the show would have to be that different because even if they don't like, you can get to the same point from a different direction. You know what I mean? You don't have to follow in the exact same footsteps that the book takes. You can invent a new character at the last minute to fulfill a certain role and, and take a different route to the same endpoint. This is true. And we've seen them do that already. Like yeah. how many times have we seen them send somebody off completely in a different direction only to have them line up with the books later? So, yeah. Well, I I thought going back to the scene, I thought it was interesting to see the line um, come from Ramsey when he was trying to uh, when Ram- Ramsey was meeting with Bolton um, in their little planning meeting where he was trying to convince uh, Bruce to go up on the wall and attack instead of waiting for them to come. Um he used the line, leave a feast for the crows, which is the title of the fourth book. And one of the main reasons I hate it so much, because it's all the death and aftermath of all the fighting in the book, in the third book. That was good. Yeah. (laughs) That was was a nod for the readers for sure. Cause Chooch, did you even know that that's the name of book four? Oh yeah. Okay. 
Is it because yeah. your wife is obsessed? Well, no, I, I think <laughs> I would think most people would get exposed to that. Um, certainly not all viewers, but the book titles. I mean, Dance with Dragons, how can you not hear that? Because they're constantly saying they're going to pass book five, Dance with Dragons, or, you know, I get that. I, cool. Um, yeah. So we kind of end here and he's saying, no, we're not going to go out in the snow. We can't even get everything, you know, get through the snow to attack him. And so Ramsey's like, he wants a strike force. <laughs> 20 men. Which sounds very similar to, you know, other, you know, like Yara, of, you know, give me mm -hmm. the nastiest men. And then uh, what's the, uh, who was, oh, it was Braun, wasn't it? Penetrating the, the veil or... <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> are we not doing phrasing anymore <laughs> <laughs> we are totally doing phrasing um yeah it's i think this whole segment i i didn't have a phrasing joke i was just gonna say about ramsey that uh this might be wishful thinking again but this is definitely something that strikes, you know, Roos is saying, look, here's, this is the sensible thing to do is to just say, look, we can wait them out. They're already having trouble. We just let them continue to have trouble in the snow while we stay here safe and warm. And this idea that Ramsey has of, oh, let's show the Northerners what we do to Southern invaders. Like nobody else in the North really thinks that way about the Boltons. So like that's, that whole argument for why they should do that is nonsense to my mind. And so the idea that he wants to do something different than what Roos wants has no actual strategic merit. It's just Ramsey's wanting to be proactive. I think it's um, also his... And, uh, well, just that, and I think uh, that it's, uh, it's a, a place that he could get himself into trouble. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think he has this, the whole bastard thing, you know, legitimizing himself because in the other last couple episodes when they're at dinner and stuff, well, us Northmen, you know, us Northerners. Um, so, yeah, I think that he still needs to legitimize himself. And, you know, like with the the possible little brother coming, you know, and Bolton said, will you help me take out Stannis? And then he's like, oh, so now we're just going to sit around and wait for him to die or, or leave <laughs> like I need to do something. I need to, you know. He needs to secure his his, his title, I guess. His it can very well be he just likes killing people. Oh yeah, I think he gets. I think he gets off on that. That's pretty seeing. Mm -hmm. See, definitely. Yeah. And I'm just thinking how, like, even if Roos Bolton stayed in charge of Winterfell for a while, just getting Ramsay out of the picture would improve Sansa's situation immeasurably. Yeah, I think Roos sees, sees potential in that plan, whether whether Ramsay's successful or not, because he knows that Sansa's not going to last long under that kind of torture that she must be experiencing. Mm -hmm. There's no way Roos is completely oblivious to it because he runs the house. Yeah, and I so, think he, he just doesn't care, yeah. which is kind of weird. Because he seems like I, I think he just figures they can weather whatever storm might come from that. But um, I'm remembering one of the earlier plots with Ramsey and Roos, though, was this whole idea of Ramsey pre-Bolton, when he's Ramsey Snow, basically saying, how can I prove myself to you, father? It was like, 
well, I can go and take this castle. And Roos is basically saying, I don't see how you can do that, but sure, go ahead and try it out. And so yeah. I think in this case, it could be, you know, Roos is thinking, look, this is win-win. If he succeeds, then good. We got rid of Stannis. If he fails, then you know what? Ramsey was already a little bit ornery to deal with. Um, we hang out here. I think I've got a new male heir coming up. I'm the warden of the north. We got a long winter coming. We're just going to sit tight. I also think it helps him if Ramsey knocks up Sansa, because then if Ramsey does disappear and die, he's been off raping Sansa. She might be pregnant with the future Stark household lead. And that would secure Roos as, as the grandfather or whatever, um, as being able to hold his position as the warden of the North and all these other things that will keep him in power. So mm -hmm. I think he's really successful in laying seeds for, regardless of whether Ramsey's successful or not, he's made himself a cushy little spot and mm -hmm. has looked forward far enough to know that they're good for at least six months under siege. So that's, that's pretty good with winter coming as fast as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like um, you're saying, waiting it out, uh, they don't really make reiterate it much on the show that how long the winters last. You know, it is winter and it's going to be winter for years. And now and then they say they'll say the long winter or whatever, but I don't think people necessarily get the scale that we're talking about, you know. So by the time they bury out, dig out of Winterfell, a lot is going to have changed and all Ramsey has to do is keep Sansa alive. Really? It doesn't matter what he does to her. Mm -hmm. um, although it seems like a reasonable concern that uh, treating her that way, like what if she just threw herself off the battlement or something like that? How did they know that she's not going to do something like that? Yeah. But um, I mean, we suspect that she wouldn't, but uh in this case, um, it, it's it's really just, I mean, despite despite being just awful behavior generally, Sansa is like the only thing that really legitimizes them in that position anyway. Because, you know, as Sansa pointed out last time, you know, the whole idea that like, oh, yeah, you're Warden of the North because Tommen says so. Is that really the <laughs> is that the uh the stool you want to sit on there? <laughs> um, yeah, and so the idea that uh like having Sansa there is something that they really actually kind of need for long-term stability. And uh so treating her the way they have is exactly the sort of thing that could they start a rebellion if anyone actually had any soldiers to do that with, which, you know, they might be okay for a while, <laughs> given that everyone else is having trouble. But uh, it's certainly not good. Like, there's no there's no advantage in it, except that I think Roos just doesn't care because he's feeling like, look, I've got a new potential heir coming up. So, look, you know, wh whatever keeps Ramsey from making trouble elsewhere fine and hey look he wants to take 20 good men and try to take out stannis sure let him try if he dies eh, no big loss and who knows he might pull it off i think that's kind of where Roos is at and there's the possibility he doesn't actually know sansa's either locked in a room or she's supervised so mm. that's 
probably unrealistic because he definitely does know Ramsey <laughs> since he raised him. <laughs> cool. Let's uh, keep heading north to um, mm -hmm. really, I mean, a huge section of this episode. Well, you want to talk about the Castle yep. Black? We got one scene with Gilly and Sam. And oh, right. Ollie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Ollie uh, coming in. I, and I found it interesting that he seems to be struggling with this whole thing, you know? Like, so many people have just immediately against John. But this is, a, you know, second or third time that he's asking again, like, why is he doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, the guy yeah. he left with led the raid that killed, swiped my village and killed everybody. Why well, is he doing this? I kind this? of had to go... I've kind of had to go with calling him emo Ollie because if Arya or Sansa or, or any of the other Stark kids had lingered so long, they would already be dead. The fact that he's at the wall as he's grieving the loss that he witnessed, the traumatizing things that he saw, um, they're not, it's not going to benefit him long-term if he can't kind of shake himself out of it. Like all the Starks had, like all the like everyone else had to do after after Ned died and various characters died. And I'm hoping that this time John explained it to him and to the audience that may not have understood um in a better way this time why he felt he had to go. And so I feel so much for the kid, but I kind of feel like it's almost Danny with her moo cards when she was wandering around in the desert. It's kind of like, we know, and let's, let's help us all move forward and, and take out the next batch of bad guys. And because the next batch are nothing like the ones that killed your parents, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the problem is that so many of the other Night's Watch brothers agree with Ollie that this is a terrible idea. We have fought the wildlings for generations. We just had a battle where we lost 50 of our guys because they were attacking yep. us. 50, which so, was half their men. It was significant. Right. And so Ollie's got to be thinking he's getting backup from everybody else he talks to. That's like, I can't believe we're doing this. What is going on? What is he thinking? And then Ollie has these personal stakes. And... Yeah. He doesn't really know John very well, a yeah. little, but not a lot. And like, it hasn't been long. And now he's seeing, like, I have always hated wildlings. I grew up hearing horror stories of them. And then unprovoked, a farming village was slaughtered mm -hmm. by this same guy that the Lord yeah. Commander is now going to plot with and bring them all over here. Like, it's, I, we can see how. Yeah. Without the perspective of knowing what the real threat is, it sounds like insane. Yeah, like not even just like a bad idea, but like you said, it sounds insane. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like there's no ground on which you could say, well, I see your point, but I don't really agree. It's more like this is crazy. It is madness. Yeah. Do you feel like this time that the explanation is sufficient for Ollie and for the audience, or do we have to keep going back to that well? Uh, the, my read of the scene is is no, honestly. Um, and yeah. in fact, uh, I wonder if Sam's speech might not have had the message that he was hoping for. Yeah. Um. 
because what he said was sometimes you have to make the really hard decisions even when people tell are telling you you're wrong. Yeah. Um, and that could potentially be interpreted in other ways. Yeah. Um, but one, one other just a, a brief tangent. We talked last time about like what is the actual time scale of the whole series run so far. And uh, Sam did say he's been worrying about John for years. And they only just met when up at Castle Black. So that indicates that the scale of time since the start of the series is years. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That was that was another thing that I, I when he said it, I was like, well, oh, OK. Yeah, it's been years. <laughs> All right. You say so. Our discussion does really drive home how how few people have seen the army of the dead and yeah. actually know yeah. what this threat represents. Like if you knew <laughs> this would be a slam well, right. dunk, you'd all you'd be all for it. But how do you prove that? Yeah. Until yeah, they show up. Almost everybody who saw the last fight with the White Walkers at the Fist of the First Men, almost all of those people died. Yeah. Christiana and Nettie, I have a question from my notes. I was trying to find it. Um, is Ollie present in the books at this point? Because I don't remember him. And he's I'm assuming he's character. serving as our audience reminder to slowly grow to trust the wildlings. Yeah, he's, he, he's a show character. Okay. Yeah, he's not in the books at all. Gotcha. He replaces kind of a, a character in the books that is completely different. Okay. Yeah. So it's like Roz again. It's a male he, prostitute that he replaces. Okay. Yeah. I what I was going to say is that there are lots of characters in the book that are questioning John's plan and yeah. I think oh, yeah. that he is he is sort of a uh a combination character that replaces uh, several different other characters. Yeah. And a logical one since he's the hand servant or whatever they call it for Steward. for John. He's the one that has direct access to him and in, in in his duties. So mm -hmm. I think he's a good choice. Yeah, I and, I, and I'm and I'm glad that and I I don't I didn't ask you other guys, um, but like I'm assuming that we're all okay with the fact that John's doing what he's doing, and we know that we're going to hear about it from 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 the lower states or whatever you want to call them, um, from lower Westerosi um, people on how they are shocked and what do you mean he brought wildlings through about with snarks and grumpkins about what's this bullshit. So we're going to hear about it again. And so that's why I was like, oh, please, enough. <laughs> if they're yeah, allowed but... through the gate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when I said he True. replaced uh, this other character, I just meant another character has the role of steward. That's all. That, that mm. is completely different. I wouldn't say replaced it because they're yeah. not even the same. But what Chris well, said is there's so many. Nutty and I are talking around some stuff. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> that the Southern kingdoms are really going to say boo until wildlings come into their area. I think that personally, exactly is that they have been ignoring the wall for yep. so long. They don't listen to them. They don't care about a twitching hand. They don't care about anything that they they're too wrapped up in what's going on in their own thing. And once they see a wildling somewhere, then they'll go, what, what, how could you do that? All it takes mm -hmm. is one fin <laughs> to oh, be yeah. visible. Not in my backyard. But yeah, they, they probably, it's probably so far removed. They 
you know, how many wildlings could there be? It's probably a couple hundred, right? You know, you know, like it's so harsh up there. Who could even live up there? Yeah. It doesn't take that many though. How many did they have when they raided Ollie's village? Right. Yeah. Um, it's true though, that what, as we saw that like up against a real, like proper, you know, properly equipped Westeros army, they, they got cut to ribbons when Stannis attacked. Yeah. They're, they're not organized. They don't have good weapons. But it's also true that they are very vicious and they're used to living in very rough conditions and therefore yeah. might not, you know, uh, alter as quickly. But uh, I, it's I think the show is doing a really good job of making it very clear that if the White Walkers were not a factor, this would be complete madness. It would mm -hmm. be like a terrible idea for him to do what he's doing. It would be the absolute worst thing. Excuse me. And so that everybody else who doesn't have that perspective of how serious a threat this really is, it makes perfect sense for them to think that John is just crazy and he's yeah. going to get thousands and thousands of people killed and probably go down in history as one of like Westeros's greatest monsters or fools or whatever he'd be like the the mad lord commander instead of the mad yeah. king yeah and so if if not for that larger perspective that would be the actual probably accurate assessment of the situation yeah. of course we know john wouldn't be doing it in any other case but so few people have that full understanding right that it makes sense how much resistance he's getting even though we're on his side as knowing that, look, this has to happen no matter what the cost, because the cost of doing anything else is so much higher, which is uh, emphasized pretty thoroughly in yeah. the remainder of this episode. <laughs> I, by the way, I did check the minute mark when we, when we, uh, when we see John and Tormund at hard home and it was at the 32 40 second mark. So it's like, Almost half the episode is hard home. Mm -hmm. So let's get talking. Um, one last thing before we change is uh, Sheriff Bullock says, uh, Ollie needs to grow up. Shut up. Your mommy and daddy are dead and I ate them and they were delicious. Oh. <laughs> Channeling a thin. I love Sheriff. Yeah, <laughs> As we get to hard home and uh, we see... Uh, just how many wild things there are, you know, you got a lot of people hanging out saying, yeah. who's this? And, oh, they're wearing black. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. You're not very welcome here. No. And we get oh, to, we see got to see Lord of Bones, Lord of Bones again. again. Yeah. Who liked the way Lord of Bones went out? Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, like, dude, that was so awesome. I freaking loved it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that torment. He's getting his point across again. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody shut the hell up and off to the elders they went. It was fantastic. I, I think I'm starting to crush on Dormund as the show, like, continues. Only just starting? <laughs> okay, as long as it's okay. <laughs> oh, it's it's that in a public than okay. Torment is amazing. And I feel like he's been restrained in the show. And yeah. then... You know, him beating up the Lord of Bones. So I was like, all right, that's awesome. That's exactly yeah. what I want to see. Um, I also really enjoyed his comment about how John is prettier than both of his daughters. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I loved how, um, what's her name, Lady Wildling basically rolled her eyes when he said that. It's just like, 
dude, come on. <laughs> like, was that necessary? Like, is that a helpful comment or you just can't help yourself? I know, right? <laughs> so, so can we call her that? Can we call her Lady Wildling? Because they never identified her or named her or anything. She she has a name. They did uh, name her. What did yeah. they name her? I, I don't, don't remember. remember. They called it out. I want to say Kara, but I think it's wrong. Uh, it's like, uh, I'll look it up. Give me a second. I had it written down. Well, let's just, yeah, we can stick with Lady Wildling because it didn't show it on the closed captioning. She is basically everyone, you know, at least in my opinion, favorite character gone in one episode and i thought she was really gonna be doing like i was like who is she she reminds me of something oh, man. She reminds me of osha like there's a similarity mm-hmm. there i'm captivated by yep. her yep. I her up on imdb Brienne. i've never seen her in anything before no. she's a scandinavian actor but she's going to be in this new unnamed project on hbo so i think that's why she got such a great role mm. um i loved it she reminded me so much of like the shield maidens in the show that another show that we're obsessed with called Vikings. And I was, I just was like, Oh, please, please, please. She would be so kick-ass at John's side and you know, whatever they had to merge 20 characters into her or whatever, mm-hmm. and her, her, you know, her protection of her kids and not knowing if she's going to find them. And then the way she went out was so fucked up though, because it was like, I guess I'm going ahead, but yeah, that <laughs> well, was that's okay. I, I share the minor frustration, like as, as effective as the scene was in terms of having an emotional response, I did feel like my preference would have been to have her not die and continue right. to be a character on the show. Yeah. That's really, honestly, that's my, um, I only had two nitpicks on the show and one was that and uh, and the other was just that everything prior to Hard Home, all, or, although good was very disjointed it felt like we were just jumping around without a lot of flow to the episode yeah in the first half which was like only a nitpick but those were really my only two quibbles with the episode anyway so Um, her character's name is carcy carcy i think they might have yelled it at some point Mm -hmm. oh okay and the actress's name is brigitte i'm I'm guessing on pronunciation here george jordanson so Lady Wildling. Yeah, there's a an O with a line through it in, in her last name. It's it's pretty awesome. But uh yeah, she's gonna be in some new HBO project. They haven't given it a name. Oh, yet. cool, cool, because I so, really liked her. I yeah, I liked her too. So I, I'm gonna watch whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I it was definitely disappointing because she um yeah, she came out swinging. She had a lot of personality. She was and, wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they gather the elders that were all going to talk and, um, you know, talked with authority and she had two of the best lines. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the first one I pulled when they're talking about, um, uh, well, let's say it was with her and the thin. They're old stories about dragon glass. There are old stories about ice spiders, biggest hounds. And with the things we've seen, you don't believe them? You're standing next to a giant, dude. <laughs> <I know. laughs> exactly. That's what I loved is like elders and a giant, yo. That wasn't the scene I thought you were going to have. Yeah, I've got the other one. (laughs) Yeah, so they're discussing what can they do. And when he says (laughs) sitting down with a crow. My ancestors would spit on me if I broke bread with a crow. So would mine, but fuck them, they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, love that one. Yeah. Mm. 
She's got babies to survive. That's right. Love her. Loved. The, the with what we've seen, you find this hard to believe. Um, all I could think of was Firefly, and it's like that sounds like science fiction, honey. <laughs> you live on a spaceship. i really liked in this in this scene the the gathering of all the different types of wildlings Mm -hmm. Uh, you know thins are thins they stick out obviously giants thins but you know some of them have kind of like painted faces or whatever and it seemed i thought it was kind of subtle because they all dress alike but it was really cool to see the different factions represented Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well, it's tribal, but it's also really fucking cold tribal. So they're all wearing the warmest jacket that matches because it's all from the same animals, I'm sure. I, I, you know, and I was just looking at my notes and I think that my my crush for Tormund has really just started in the last two episodes when he has clearly he's more clearly wearing a white hat rather than a neutral and aggressive hat. <laughs> But like when he spoke about the arrow being of mercy that John killed Mance with, I mean, he did not have to do that. He could have totally turned and he saw that it was the right thing to do for his people, not just for himself instead of revenge. And I just I, I that was like, who torment for me? You know, I'm such yeah. an easy mark. I, I had a little theory that uh, he and John actually worked out that whole exchange in advance, maybe on the boats mm-hmm. on the way up there, just to say, okay, they're going to ask about Mance, right? So yeah. if I tell them why I did it, they're not going to believe it. So I yeah. can tell them something to make them mad, and then you calm them down with the other bit so that they'll know what the real deal was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, That would have been brilliant. I don't know if Tormund would have sat and done any planning sessions with john but it, i'm sure it was an interesting boat ride at least they had a fair yeah. amount of time and you you'd have to talk about a few details because what yeah you know because like our discussion earlier they know the gravity of the situation and mm-hmm. the wildlings have a better idea of what it's like to live with white walkers around obviously but and in winter even without white walkers yeah. And mm-hmm. just how important this is that we get everybody to come down and band together against that. Get behind the wall yeah. and then fight them. Well, so like you saw, as soon as they start loading people up, who are they loading first? The children and the elderly. Which mm-hmm. I thought, you know. All right, you guys, you fighters might not agree, but we're going to get these people that can't take care of themselves on these ships right now. Mm. Boy, thanks for depressing me, Nutty. <laughs> now I'm like... <laughs> So they've got the elderly and children to help them fight all these healthy warriors that were just turned blue-eyed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but from what we get from this, they they loaded 5,000 wildlings onto the ships before Yeah, shit at, at a rough estimate, anyway. Uh, Tormund's is no good at counting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we, we had such a great build of tension in this bit because uh uh you know w- you know we're loading on we're talking about like oh well we don't have all the people we want and torment's just like look they don't have very much food up here they'll come around so we'll we'll just have to make another trip um but then of course the dogs start barking and then you're like huh and then this seems like a storm blowing in what are those plumes of snow oh Wait, something is happening. Oh God! And and the thing is, like, this is like sort of a, more, a broader thing, but like, 
based on just some of like the rumor mill things, it had been clear that they they had made a big deal during shooting about the the hard home set, like the the place that they were that location that they were filming at, and then in earlier episodes this time making this you know such a point of the dragon glass, I was think, thinking okay yeah we're we're going to get a White Walker encounter, but the scale of this was an order of magnitude bigger than I imagined that we would possibly get. And it was amazing. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Our, our son who's just recently started watching, I think they did a, a total binge and caught everything up and he had watched it and came running into our rooms. Like that's what I've been waiting for since season one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And he didn't even have a very long wait like the rest of us. <laughs> they mainlined it. It was insane. Um, oh, Mike McCauley says when when she kisses the kids goodbye on the boat, you just knew she wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the kids, White Walker kids that she runs into later, are those her kids or just other kids? They're other kids. There's no way those yeah. were her kids. They were on okay. boats and in the water. That's what I thought, but I was Those like... Those were different kids. I really hope that there are some other kids and not her own kids coming to kill her. And yeah. that was... No, I, I, I kind of made myself watch the third time and made sure that that wasn't the case because I was mm. worried about the same thing. But I think with her, it was just any children. She couldn't have possibly raised an axe to. So she just did... All right, I'm out. Peace, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any way that they were her children. I mean, first of all, there was like six of them. Mm. And they were yeah. all seemed to be close Emaciated. to the same age. And they and we saw later what the freshly raised whites look like, and they don't look all rotten like that. You know, that when they're fresh raised, you only see whatever injuries they had. They look basically just like the dead body just opened its eyes and stood up. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. I found it interesting where Viv and I were trying to kind of piece together that some of them seemed to have the blue eyes like they were resurrected and some of them didn't. And we couldn't figure out if it was just because the ones that didn't just didn't have eyes. They were <laughs> skeletons, basically. We were doing socket checks. Or are those like the skeletons that attacked Bran at the tree? You know, yeah, like, the are we talking about different types of troops or... <laughs> Or are they all well, the yeah, blue-eyed whites? If I can, and I'm interrupting you, but mm -hmm. we learned with um, the, with Longclaw, which we were told, which I had forgotten, but we were told in the uh, the preview that Longclaw is made of Valyrian steel, which confirmed a mm -hmm. suspicion that Chooch and I had. We just couldn't remember and we're going to ask. But it didn't impact anybody else that he fought the same way it impacted the the big dude. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're wondering, like, does that, does the blue eyes and the non-eyes and the don't sh explode into shards of ice versus just fall apart? Like, what's, what's like the ranking between these goddamn fast-moving zombies? Thank <laughs> yeah. a lot, HBO. I needed zombies. I consider the guys with the weapons, the icy guys with the blue eyes, those are the White Walkers and the rest are the army of the dead. That's how mm -hmm. I interpreted it. I think we called them Kings of Winter at one point, but I don't know if that's us or somebody talked about it. Just named well, them that offhand. The one with the pointed crown is is the Knight's King, according to the credits. Mm -hmm. And we saw that last season. I think it was last season. Yeah, they had that one the shot with Craster's baby yeah. that had been taken. Right. 
So, and that's pure show. Yeah. Not that that, that hasn't been in yeah. the book either. But book um, six of, is Winds of Winter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so at least again, like they could be doing it a little different on the show, but my understanding is basically is the rules that we know are there's the white walkers and they are killed by dragon glass and apparently now Valerian steel. Um, and then there are the whites, the whites are humans that have died and been resurrected as a white. And I think that they are there's only one category. It's just how rotted are they? And so some of them might have lost their eyes, but they're still animated. So if they have the eyes, they're blue, but they might have also just rotted out the eyes. I don't think we probably, I don't have, if there's saw third tier, <laughs> if we saw any that had eyes, but not the blue eyes, that was probably a mistake. Yeah. And that, that was what we were searching. I mean, I wasn't as thorough searching as probably Chooch was when we did our last watch, but that's kind of the conclusion that we drew. I just didn't know if you guys. Some of them definitely had no eyes at all. It was just. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, And then what an important distinction that the show hasn't made a big deal of, but we see just quite kind of implicitly when we see the, the battle is um, like Valyrian steel dragon glass does not destroy the whites the way it does the white walkers, right. The, 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 the zombie army of the dead people, um, yeah. they can be, you know, damaged with a weapon just like, you know, anything could, but that sort of magical vulnerability does not seem to apply. So, cause we saw John using yeah. long claw on several of the frozen right, zombies right. and it didn't seem to be anything special other than just being a good sword. Yeah, that that was that was what led us to the initial question. So we think that there's basically two tiers. There's the Night King and equivalent tier, the guys that we saw up on the mountain range, mm-hmm. and then uh, one of them came down and went pachoom like a like the white like the um, White Walker that Sam slayed with the yeah. dragon glass, right? It was the same kind of shatter effect. Mm-hmm. So we only and- think that there's the two tiers then, the ones that they resurrect, and then these special dudes. And the question is, are there are the special dudes, the 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 big white walkers, right? Um, are they the same as Craster's kids that are turned into exactly? Them? Because or yes. is there a difference there also? So that yeah. that's something that I've got in the back of my head. But seeing that Valerian Steel is working on the White Walkers just like Dragon Glass is a huge thing for book yeah. readers. Because it's speculated about in the books, but ah. no one knows. And Neener. all great houses or most of the great houses have a Valyrian steel sword. Yeah. Do we, most of them? I thought they were relatively rare. They're rare, but like the big, big houses. Yeah. Not, yeah there's not, not that not many great houses, right? Houses. Yeah. After we saw that uh, with our son in here, we did a quick count of the Valyrian steel that we know of. And we knew about Longclaw, mm-hmm. and we know uh, we know about Oathbreaker, mm-hmm. and whatever Joffrey named his, or Widow's whatever Thomas is what he named yeah, it. Widow's Whale. Yeah, that's and, right. I know so that so that ice got melted down to two, which mm-hmm. Brienne has one. Woohoo! And um, and we assume Tommen has the one that Joffrey mm-hmm. got. So there's at least there's those, and then I mean there's just there are several known of known items but it's not really i don't think that much more 
uh, common than Dragonglass itself because nobody mm-hmm. makes Valyrian steel like that anymore. If anything, Dragonglass is far more, there's far more of it yeah. if mm-hmm. it's rel- relatively concentrated on Dragonstone. Right. But um, the, even, even still though, like even if we wanted to say every great house has one, I mean, we That's saw it, it. Well, and, and you're also fighting 10,000 frozen zombies for every yeah. White Walker. Yeah. So honestly, it's like, it's, I mean, it's maybe your only shot when you're up against a white walker but you still would have to get through all the zombies yeah. with the one guy who has the special sword i just really like that brienne has one <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> so there's at least 10 that we know still exist mm-hmm. that have been named and have been seen there's about from eight the book that we from don't the know show. what happened. Okay, uh, there we go. From the books. And then, of course, Ice, we know what happened. Yeah. Um, so other than Ice, no other Valerian steel do we know of that is lost. Because, you know, the, the difference between the Valerian steel and the dragon glass is it's a lot stronger. I yeah. could break dragon glass. Yeah, it's obsidian. But... I can't break Valerian steel. Right. So that's really important to remember. And um, one of the the blades that I do want to bring up just because it's kind of like, a, oh, yeah, um, let's not forget that dagger mm-hmm. that was used against I Bran. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah. That was a Valerian steel. And we lo- last saw that with Lysa, didn't we? Uh, I think... Probably uh, Littlefinger took it back when he uh, when yeah. Kat brought it. Yeah, to him, I think yeah, so. He, he probably back. has it. That's what mm-hmm. I meant. Yeah. So okay. So so and then there's there's some other ones. Um, but I mean, and there's gonna be ones we don't know the, about. Yeah, the 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 ones in the show we've we've discussed. Mm-hmm. But it certainly explains. I mean, besides their great strength, why they're so necessary as far as the, oh, duh, um, as necessary as far as the great houses is like, this is something that you should really have and keep and hand down rather than sell off. And, and, and I think that the importance, I think that we're seeing now where some of that importance came from is because older generations, you know, snarks and grumpkins knew how important Valerian steel was to survival. So mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's a neat thing to add on to the, um, the revere that Valerian steel swords have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's so much in this world that it's, we have prepared you for, if this happens again. Yes. Built We've tried. <laughs> we told you that you're protecting the realms of men. Men. Yes. That's the Valerian steel. There's so many things that people just think of as tradition or stories now and they don't believe because, well, it hasn't happened in months. And I think that that's so accurate of mankind, you know, Mm -hmm. like we forget stuff and think of it as just myth, you know, or whatever, you know, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. You know, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's such a clever piece of of the world that's been written in there yeah and i had two questions about valeria that presumably aren't oily i wouldn't think but you can dance around if you want but so we know that you know it was a society in a place that existed a long time ago and so the first question is in their time frame so would would valeria have existed 
before the wall was built and all that. It's that old? I think so. Uh, I don't remember if we know how, like, how old it is. We know that the the doom of Valyria was absolutely since the formation of the wall and the last time the White Walkers happened. That was like so the doom of Valyria and the end of that civilization, I believe, was was on the order of hundreds of years ago, as opposed to thousands, three thousand years ago. Um, for the um, the you know, wall uh, was built the wall thousand years ago uh, to current time uh, by Brandon the Builder. So I mean, I just looked that up and I'm like, wait, Brandon the Builder was eight thousand years ago. Oh my yeah. god, that is crazy. Yeah. That is just crazy. And um, it occurred approximately a century before the Targaryen conquest of West Westeros. That was in about 102 BC, whatever that means. Mm. Um, so yeah, the Valeria definitely fell after the wall was built. And that it, it was closer together than I was thinking, though, because I was thinking that the the because the, the conquest of Westeros by the Targaryens was largely the result of them being one of the only Valerian families that didn't all die in the Doom of Valeria. Yeah. Um, and so they were the ones that had dragons still and nobody else did. So they kind of were able to, you know, wreck shop. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's, it's still definitely the wall was before Valeria. Yeah. And like okay. the fall of Valeria, is that just shrouded in the doom or do they actually say what happened to the society? We, we really don't know very much. Yeah. It's okay. shrouded in mystery. The people that's, who know probably died when it happened. Yeah. That's you wanted a lot of information in that story that Tyrion and mm -hmm. Jorah said. Yeah. That, which I'm still squeeing over. I still can't mm -hmm. believe that we got that much information and we're only talking about episode eight. Um, I think that I, th I think one of the shame that one of the sad things about the battle that I'm calling World War Z because of the way they showed the 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 um the white walkers just kind of flowing over that hill, like those old commercials yeah. moving. But um, I thought that it, it, it was a shame that John sang um, Knights watched with me to go and defend the fence, the, the gate, that that would have really made a big difference. Cause it showed that he was not only willing to risk his life, he was also willing to risk the men of the Knights watch that were in his care to try and protect them and save them. But by then it was so, so very late that it was honorable and it was nothing less than I'd expect from him, but it just sucks that he didn't have another opportunity to do that and convince others, but then it wouldn't be as horrifying an ending. Then well, I think like, out. you know, the Finn who was so against everything and said, we won't yeah. go, but in yeah. the battle. Yes. All right. You mm -hmm. and me, let's go get that dragon glass. You yeah. know, yeah. he was there. He said, okay. He you basically get it. said, you find the dragon glass. I'll take on this guy. And even though he well, kind yeah. of went down like a chump, Compared yeah. to the White Walker, he did, but I mean, it, it still showed a lot for how much that that single act of John oh, yeah. convinced them. Because he even said, "You get the glass, I got this guy." It wasn't just "Let's go get him." It was, "You go get that and get mm -hmm. the fuck out of here." Well, so he knew he was going to die. It's it's a great illustration of what we were talking about earlier. In that, the people who have faced these things, yeah understand what's at stake yeah certainly everyone looking at this battle today has got to be saying look 
we are so outmatched yeah. here that it's really just it it's any additional squabbling amongst ourselves any resource that is not expended towards trying to protect against that is, is wasted, wasted. Totally. and so I, anyone who's up against who who's seen it gets that yeah. But it's so it's on such a fantastical scale yeah. that it makes perfect sense in the world building why anyone who hasn't seen it personally mm-hmm. has to believe is like, well, right. no, it can't be that bad. Yeah. And now we have 5,000 wildlings who God knows if anybody will, will believe them. But we've got all those men from the Night's Watch that went with John that mm-hmm. have now witnessed this unholy of unholiest of things, you know, it was just mm-hmm. horrifying. And so now there's lots of witnesses, but it's just a matter of, is it going to get to other people in time to make a difference? But there's well, also lots and lots of undead now. Yeah, I know. Well, and my thinking too, was the idea that on the one hand, yeah, you have all the wildlings who know they, to a large extent knew already. And which is why the whole reason they were trying to get South of the wall is to get right. away. Mm-hmm. Um, so to some extent they were more aware of the potential threat. Yeah. But the the problem is the other night's watch are not gonna care what the wildlings have to say. Right. There's a relatively small number of crows that were with them and saw the battle. Mm-hmm. So they would be on this side. But that's what the I'm scale saying. of this battle is also to the extent that John is probably gonna be on on the level of saying, look, look, this was already the plan, but we need to do it now. We yeah. need to be every, getting everybody south of the wall ASAP yeah. as opposed to what might have been a more drawn out plan. And so I think pushing it to happen immediately might make everyone who stayed behind even more unsettled. Chooch, um, yeah. can I ask you a question that I, I didn't ask you yet because I've been dying to know? Yeah. Um, but um, do you think that the attack by the by the White Walkers was timed such that the uh, the crows that not only would they get the wildlings, but that also get the crows. But if they didn't get the crows, they'd at least be able to scare the shit out of them and make them already more like scattered and frantic and and scared than they were before because of the. Sh- I mean, he, that was such a big show of raising everybody. That was purely as he was given John the Dead Eye. So it's like. How much of that do you think was timed or just coincidental? I I would think it would have to be coincidental because it takes a long time to amass that many troops and get them somewhere. And how would they know when when the Night's Watch were going to show up to Hard Home? You know, yeah. I think they're just they're just marching. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't decide because when when they were shown as being like twenty eight days zombie speedrunner kind of things, I was I was like, hmm, how much did they actually plan it this way? Or what do you got? What do you ladies think? Um, uh, well, I I think that it the the timing of the attack felt like coincidence to me, but I think the big gesture at the end, um, the only other things that we saw that White Walker do, the Knights King. When we saw them all up on the horses, I think at that point it was just sort of a, oh, hum, another battle. We'll get a bunch of them. But then when he saw John with Longclaw take out one of the White Walkers, we got a reaction shot of the Night's King going, I don't like that one bit. 
but I think that the, so the gesture at the end was kind of a, look, you took out one of us. Look what we got. Yeah. And so I think it was sort of just, it was a little bit of a reclaiming of like, this is, <laughs> you know, that, that idea of you may think you, you got even just a little bit of a victory amidst all of this. And I'm right. just going to emphasize the point is like, this is a, like, even the fact that you're getting away, like, it doesn't matter. Look what we've gained from this. Yeah. Attack. Yeah. The fact that we didn't kill all of you and you got one of us is such a tiny blip on the radar compared to everything that we just got. And so I, I got the sense that the gesture was not about the timing of the attack, but more of a matter of like, you know, killing one of us doesn't mean you won anything. Or a Hydra. Yeah. I, I think oh, that Lord. the White Walkers are building their army right now. They're not actually focused on going south yet. They're just building. And they knew that there were so many humans up there to turn. They were slowly, you know, creating others and, or White Walkers or whatever with the Craster's kids and all of that. And now they're starting to build their army. So they've been hitting small sections and they knew that wildlings were gathering there. And I think they were watching for the right time. And when all of a sudden these ships are here, they're like, maybe yeah. now's the right time. I don't think that it was specifically for John or specifically right. for a show of force, but rather we want to wait till we have as many as we can turn mm -hmm. because they're all about just gathering an army. Yeah, I definitely agree with Christiana about that whole, wait a minute, this one is a little bit different and he mm -hmm. was eye on him. Um, I wanted to ask uh, Chuch and Viv, what were your thoughts on the giant? One, one. Chuch. Yes, one, one. Giant stomping badass. <laughs> it was just seeing him break out of the hut and then just stomp, stomp, and later going into the ocean and just flinging him off his back. Yeah. Fucking badass. And I mean, in the way, not only just, you know, an unstoppable force, but the way that he had the tree and then the other plank, you know, he was clearing the retreat, you know, he's like, he's a mm -hmm. team player, you know, he yeah, was awesome. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of comments in the, uh, in the Q and a that I, I think uh, deserves to be addressed so there's uh, Mike McCauley says, so is the giant immune from converting to a zombie? He seems to get attacked and bitten enough times. Um, and then Sheriff Bullock replies, to become a zombie, I believe you have to be infected with the virus. Then after you die, you come back. Uh, the giant isn't dead yet, but I'm not sure zombie rules apply to the white walkers of this world. Um, my take is that like zombie rules don't apply here. Mm -hmm. that Agreed. There's, there's no bite. Infection. It's just died in any way. And so a bite, unless it kills you, doesn't do anything. It's right. not zombie and so the other zombie rules that don't apply in this case destroying the brain has no effect mm -hmm. nope. um they have to whites as we've seen demonstrated in the show even previously all the way going back to the the very first ones we saw um they have to either be so dismembered and pulverized that even if they were technically animated, they still couldn't do anything right. or they have to be burned. Those are the only ways to put them down for good. Right. I think currently if you die beyond the wall, you will wake up as, as an undead. Um, that, hmm. that is my thought. Um, hmm. Interesting. 
And that's why all the wildlings are, you got to burn your corpses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they make, because sure they can raise them. any dead, not just the ones that they themselves yeah. kill. And yeah. they burned every single one of the wildlings and the men of the night's watch during the battle at the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that reason. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. Dead should never rise. Yeah. Uh, sorry, undrowned God, but uh, <laughs> beyond the wall is different rules, different rules. Yeah. <laughs> so in the books, I love one one and I don't know why he's kind of like pot pie to me. I don't know. I just love one one. But as I read the books in my head, I was picturing Grop from uh, the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. They were so similar yeah. kind of in like heart. If it makes any sense. Um, so seeing him, I was so excited. And then seeing Dolores Ed trying to uh, talk to him and then him talking in the old tongue and everything. And I was just like, this is so cool. This is- yeah, I was going to say that um, I, I I loved having more of the giant POV yeah. than we've had, you know, other than, you know, seeing the, you know, the, the, the um, heartbreak and the grief of, of the elder king being killed yeah. at the wall. But I mean, seeing their POV and like, what the fuck are you looking at when, when, when Ed looks at him for the dragon glass, like, yeah, what the fuck are you, oh, you know, and he runs off. <laughs> but the fact that he was able to just shake them off was awesome, cheered him. And uh, I kind of felt like it was badass that he just kept on walking past the boat. They're rowing furiously. He's going way past him and he doesn't even like grab him by a finger and nudge him along. He's just like, at the big boat and just off he goes yeah. he, he doesn't need anybody he doesn't have to help nobody he's gonna do his thing good luck he'll not he'll use a tree to knock some shit out of your way but don't go crazy you know uh when the boat was pulling away and he was still on shore fighting them there was a moment where i was thinking they're not gonna leave him behind are they and then, <laughs> but then he's like no nah, i'm cool i'll walk i knew what i was doing yo <laughs> i had the flank I, I was I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, if they brought one one into the show just to kill him off, I am not going to be happy. Like Lady Wildling. Oh, well, but, I mean, no, it's yeah, a small character in the books, and sometimes I cling to these small characters. I know, so me too. I half expected them to do that to me, but yes, just like Lady Wildling, and mm-hmm. I, then he starts walking, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's got this. It's one one. He's all yeah. good. Yeah, I'm so happy to see him. <laughs> I forgot one of the things that we were joking about going back to the sword and the Valyrian steel against the whites is one of the things we were joking about is maybe that there's like, what was it, Chooch? It was a, a phoenix tail feather core oh, right. <laughs> buried in the Valyrian steel. That's right. It was steel. saying maybe the, the long claw has an obsidian core, like, <laughs> yeah, like the wands. Maybe Potter. Valyrian is formed with obsidian in the middle, <laughs> something nerdy, some major nerdy discussion. <laughs> well, I love, um, I've described the books to people who really like the Harry Potter books. They're like, if you like Harry Potter and you can handle violence, gore, and sexuality, and these are the books for you. If yeah. you can't handle that stuff, don't read these books. Don't. Yeah. And if you can't handle yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> I would agree with has, that assessment. There's something about Harry Potter and, and, a song of ice and fire that can grab similar minds. And I don't, I don't know how to put it into words, but it's definitely a thing there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they both have houses, you know, and Lord of the Rings too. I mean, I, oh, I think it's definitely. really rare when you, when you don't find similarities across those. 
So, Chooch, was there anything that we still, or that we, any, anything else left on our list? Not uh, show-wise, not, uh, not, not scenes. Mm. Well, before we go into that, can we oh, read oh, the oh. last of the Q&A? Yeah, so uh-huh. I was just going to say, absolutely. The one I saw from Sheriff Bullock, which is um, a theory that I had put forth a little bit ago. Can't wait to watch Bran warg into Danny's dragons and set the White Walkers on fire. <laughs> Not a spoiler, merely a prediction on how he seems to, or how he he's going to be on something. Together. Remember what the what's his face in the tree said to him um, at the end of last season. You're not going to walk. You're going to fly. Yep. <laughs> we got to be careful. These listener comments are so good that it's like sometimes they answer before we can. And it's like <laughs> that's really clever. <laughs> So do we want to do ratings next? Is that what we're at? And I didn't quite. Well, uh, oh, look had another one. I didn't quite understand it. I, I, I think I. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. I yeah. Think he's good. Okay. So. I think there's a typo. My father sent me this message. Hard home. Awful cruise ship port. I would not go there even if the shore excursions were included. For one thing, you have to tender it. But also, zombies. Always a drawback. <laughs> so hard home, not a good port. On Yelp, one star, maybe? Yeah, one star. Nobody's checking in on Foursquare. Yeah, right. Is there a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Seeking mayor. Uh, And he also said, only two episodes left. I'm sad. My first thought whilst watching the app was, there's sure a lot of people opening doors and handing things to people. Also, frantically waves. Oh, that was way earlier. At the beginning. (laughs) I was going to fit for the wrap up. That a, a piece of feedback from Nobilis that relates uh, back to episode six. He says, one of the criticisms of episode six was that it seemed clear to people that the assault on Sansa was included for the purpose of motivating Theon. And then in episode seven, when it's clear that Theon was not, in fact, motivated by what he saw, there was silence. There's still a lot wrong with that scene, but Game of Thrones has a long history of taking our expectations and de- denying or subverting them. In my opinion, that's what's happened here. Well, um, I well, I I think it's true that it subverts tropes, but I, I I felt like just the fact that Theon wasn't motivated doesn't change my criticism, which is that the scene was about the effect it was having on Theon, whether or not he made the decision to do something about it or not. So I feel like that was still true, even if it didn't make him then proceed to do it. They're just doing a slow build. Well, and I would, to add on to that, I would argue that we're starting to see the cracks in Theon. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. he referred to himself as, you know, I, when I did this, not as when Theon did it, he's referring Mm -hmm. to himself and the actions he did as Theon. So I I don't, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it's just taking longer for Reek to kind of go to the side so that Theon can hopefully emerge and do something really useful for Sansa. Mm -hmm. Other than, I mean, to be honest, he really did probably save her life in some way, or at least some flailing because flaying, I mean, because, um, because he got, she got turned in right away rather than getting further in her plan and possibly putting Brienne at risk, possibly, you know, the one person she thought she had somebody on the outside, this preserved that for her. You know, that nobody else was put at risk. And so I, I would argue that we're already seeing some changes in Theon because he was forced to witness the rape that I wish never happened. 
Does that answer yeah, I, anything? I, and I think, <laughs> I think that's true, but I agree with Christiana that the scene, it's, it's irrelevant. They kind of, you know, they stole this, this horrible thing was happening to her. And it seems like the only reason it was in the show is to have an effect on Theon. Obviously it's going to have an effect on her too, but you know, that it's like making it about him is, was, was cheapened. There it. is, um, you can cheapen, cheapen rape. Did I mention the, uh, the Mad Max meme last time or in one of our other discussions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's like my, having had a couple of weeks to stew on it now, like I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just a little, like, I just, feel like they didn't handle it as well as they could have. And I said this in our discussion about the episode, but I feel like if they had even just shown us a little bit of Sansa trying to do something in that scene, even if it didn't work and the rest happened the same way, that would have made a big difference for me. But instead in that scene, she became only a passive victim and the scene was directed in a way as to emphasize the effect it was having on Theon specifically. And that is what bugged me about it. Um, and so, again, it's like, obviously, I'm still watching the show. I'm glad that they have kind of gotten past that bit, which I didn't like very much. But doesn't mean that I have changed my mind about that bit. I, I haven't listened to the episode. I took a knee on talking about on doing the episode for multiple reasons. Um, so I, I, I'm not familiar with the full argument. I'm just going to briefly say that I think Ramsey knew the effect would be immense on Sansa as well as on Theon. He immediately exerted who he is and what she should expect and was very successful with the way that it was done for the rape that I wish never happened. Mm. And I think that Sansa did the smartest fucking thing possible. Cause one of the things that you learn when you are taking self-defense courses and, and, and survival courses is, you know, you do everything you can to get away. And if you can't get away, you do everything you can to survive and to survive Ramsey. She had already seen people get flailed. Cause hadn't we seen help for her before healed and on the front door where her brothers were hung before her, burned brothers were she Mm -hmm. had seen but i mean she had seen the potential of harm that he can do to a human Mm -hmm. without a second thought so i think it was a survival decision yes she was in shock she was traumatized i would have loved to seen her fight back but i think in her circumstances that would have been far worse as ramsey showed her not to fight when he does these things well that's really all i have to say but I, it's clear that I want to hear because, your thoughts, though. because you didn't hear what I had said about it the other t- the other uh, when we did that other discussion. I wasn't saying she should just like struggle and fight back. She has put herself in this situation where she she married him. She knows she has to consummate. But what I would have wanted her to do, and what I actually was hoping that the show was going to do, is we had the scene earlier in that episode where she observes Miranda being jealous. And I was thinking, well, what if Sansa says, okay, this is who Ramsey was in love with before this marriage had to happen. What if I try to act like that to manipulate him and try to make this be something that I have a little bit more control over? And so what if instead of just standing there afraid, she had tried to 
participate a little bit more. And like, even if he saw through the act and it all played out the rest of the way the same, I just wanted her to be proactive in some way. And that doesn't mean struggling, resisting violently. It just means that she knew this was going to happen. And I wanted her to be trying to take control over it in some way as best she could, because that's what she had been doing in the last half a season was her making these decisions to try to be a little bit more responsible for the things that are happening to her. And I just wanted to see her try something instead of basically, again, it's not like she was responsible for what he did to her, but at the same time, the way she was in that, the way she was acting in that scene, like they had to consummate the marriage, like for all of these other broader political right, reasons. Right, but he didn't have to bend her over a table I, in front of him. I'm not, I'm not, I think consum, I think she expected consummation to be different and that's, you know. I know, I'm not defending anything he did. Oh no, no, I understand, honey. I fully understand. I'm that. saying I wanted for the show purposes right to see Sansa continue her arc of trying to play the role trying to take more control trying to do what she can if the whole idea is that we're marrying Ramsay to manipulate here i wanted to see her try to do that instead of just being a passive victim that he is able to rape and again i wasn't saying that Ramsay was doing it for Theon's benefit, I'm saying that the show framed the scene to draw our attention to the impact it was having on Theon more than the impact it was having on Sansa. I was grateful for that, regardless of their motivation. I was happy well, to not have the camera on Sansa, as I'm sure you were. How about this? Theon goes to leave, and Ramsay says, No, stay. And the door closes, and that's the end of the episode. Yep. We would have known what was going on and we wouldn't have had to watch that scene. And so how do you equate this? I'm, and on this, I'm just curious. I, 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 cause it just occurred to me. How do you equ equate the rape of Danny by the call the first night they were together, which was against her will. Well, and, and is it, is it worse or, or easier? Was it worse, harder or easier? Do they equate? You know, it's the same situation. You know, you have to consummate. You have no choice. And it's yeah. going to happen. But well, it doesn't, you know what I mean? How, well, okay. I mean, you, I, let me, I can answer the question. First of all, we, we, when we talked about that episode, I didn't like it there either and said so. Especially because in the books, it wasn't like that. Agreed. So that was, I remember, yeah, we had that conversation. But it was also shaded in the context that in the books, we knew that that relationship becomes something different. And we had the expectation that they were going somewhere with it in that storyline. And I had more faith that they were going to develop it in a way that would make it feel better. Whereas here, I felt like it felt like it was for shock value and not for storytelling in Sansa's yeah. arc. And, and the other thing is, while yeah, that was totally rape, you know, Drogo, she says no, and yeah. Drogo does it anyway. That's very different than, you know, that's a, you're my wife. We're going to do this. I'm a horse Lord, you know, whatever. And then they can build from there. 
Ramsey is doing this for torture's sake. Mm-hmm. He's not doing this to consummate. He is doing this, and he's not doing this because he wants to have sex with her. He is doing this to torture her and to torture Reek, to put them both in their place. This is completely different in my eyes than Danny and Drogo, even though I was upset about that one because in the books it was actually nice and tender. And, you know, then they went to the whole doggy style thing and she teaches them, no, 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 we can connect by looking at each other and all these wonderful things. But it's very different and the story was different and the setting was different and it wasn't as brutal. And I don't think it lingered as much. And it just, you know, this was just, we're going to torture Sansa, we're going to torture Reek, and we're going to torture the viewers. So. And I guess the other thing is, like with Danny, she was still very young and and it was, you know, she was being passed around and wasn't in control of anything where Sansa, they had built her, had been building her like Christiana said, to come into her own. And then it's all just completely stripped away. Well, but then I think that that justifies my fear for Arya because she's starting to feel empowered again. And every time a Stark starts to feel empowered or safe or secure, something horrible happens to them. And I have very different opinions on the rape scenes um, for very personal reasons. And I don't think that we're going to agree on a lot of these things. Um, and so that, that's one of the reasons I didn't want to do the episode is because it's extremely personal for me. Not that it's not extremely personal for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's just harder for me to talk about. I haven't been public about it for very long. And I certainly don't mean to imply that Nettie or Christiana or Chooch don't get upset enough. It's a, it's a, it's a PTSD trigger for me, which is why I keep zoning out and trying not to think about it from time to time. Um, I see them as equally offensive just because Danny fell in love with call later doesn't make it any less child rape, but that's okay. you know my opinion. And, and, know, they're, and they're both offensive. I think so, we all agree that. No, I, we said, we, we all said it then and we're all yeah. saying it now and I'm agreeing with you guys. It is reprehensible. We're coming from different POVs. We're not going to agree. So um, I'm, I'm cool with, you know, where that is. Okay. I, I think I, I think I really understand. I think I get all of your all's points. I just think it resonates differently to me, and I really don't want to go there. <laughs> okay, I I'm, I I don't want to make you talk about it. I just I I I feel like I'm not understanding what you're saying because when you say you don't agree, I mean we're saying we didn't like it. So I'm no, and I and I believe I, I I'm not arguing that point at all. I I'm I'm not saying anybody liked it. I'm not saying any of you enjoyed it. I'm saying that I believe Sansa's behavior and her reactions and responses have a different. I mean I. I'm not mad at the character. I'm mad at the show writers for writing the scene in a way right. that was unpleasant and unhappy. And that, so I, I'm not criticizing the character at all. I'm mad at the, the writers of the show. And I'm in agreement. They could have written this scene any way they wanted. It's already different from the books. They could have changed it to anything they want. They're not painting themselves into a corner in any way. They are the showrunners. They can write the story to be whatever they want it to be. And so... When people talk about like, oh, the realism of like, oh, well, this is who Ramsey is. And well, if they're going to get married, this is what would happen. And I'm thinking, why did the marriage even happen have to be at this point? 
Why they could have stretched the whole story out that they just aren't married yet. They could have like they 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 could have done anything they wanted that was different. And so I that's who I'm mad at. I wasn't criticizing the character in any right. way. I was just saying so when I was talking about different things that Santa could have done, it's not a criticism of her as a character. It's a way the writers could have made the scene feel better to me. Yeah. Without rehashing everything we said in the other episode, we many of us seem to believe that there was a lot of bad storytelling going on mm-hmm. and there were a lot of other choices that could have been made. And the fact that there's been so much discussion about this means that the showrunners got what they were looking for. It really wasn't for the story. This was for shock value. This was to get people talking. And it's not the right thing that you want to have people talking. It's not good. I I've, I know that there are some people who quit the show over it. There are people who have quit the show over other things, um, as we've discussed in the past. And you know what? Anyone who did, good. That that is completely your choice. Good. So you won't and be mad when I quit the show. <laughs> I won't be mad if you quit the show. No, actually, if if it ever gets to a point where you can't watch the show or it's no longer fun for you, stop watching. And that's how I feel personally. Um, I just I feel like we talked a lot about this, and I just don't want to give them any more. Thank you. Yeah. Because it yeah. just it's gross that they're they're manipulating the viewers and the media in this way. The fact that the Mary Sue said that they weren't going to cover any more episodes was like the biggest story and was the best press they could get. So it just feels very exploitive. Well, I guess this is the best press for people that know what the Mary Sue is. <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing it's a review blog. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a feminist blog, kind of genre. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's genre. It's a genre blog that has a lot of pro-feminist uh, things on there. Wow. And often you can find some really great stuff on there. It's a shame they're not going to coverage it anymore because that POV would probably become more and more valuable the further we get into these books. But I can understand if one reviewer is like, I, I can't take this No, anymore. totally. Yeah, not totally. I and it's like it's you know it's like you said. If any of us feel like they've gone too far, which I mean, I feel like they went too far when when at the red wedding. But you know, we I made a commitment, and and mm-hmm. they haven't they haven't completely turned me off yet. I just get so much enjoyment. I think for me, it's going to be harder for me to say, okay, I'm done, because that means I'm not going to be able to do this with you guys anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is like a huge aspect of my social life and my fun time. And I get to see y'all's faces like we never do the rest of the year. So they're going to have to do a whole lot more to get me to give up my Wednesday nights with you guys. Well, I will just echo that there are other parts of the show that are great and fun to watch. And so this I, I had this feeling I watched the season finale of Outlander, which is a different show, but without getting into it, some stuff happened in the finale and previous penultimate episode that makes it tangential to this whole discussion. But my feeling at that time was just sort of like, like, what am I watching the show for? Is it for this kind of stuff? Because I don't think that's a story I necessarily want to hear about. Just because, oh, hey, this is a dark and gritty world mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to spend your storytelling time on those specific parts of it. Right. And so 
my feeling is I would enjoy the show more if they spent a lot less time on that stuff. On the shock. Yep. Yeah. The shock and awe. Give us the awesome. I mean, like, yeah. the last half of this episode was so mm-hmm. amazing. Why yeah. are we still talking about this horrible thing when, if that wasn't a part of it, people would be talking about this episode so much more. Mm-hmm. But still, people are talking about two episodes ago. Right. Well, it's kind of a PTSD trigger. So oh, I think I that that was, like you said, they got exactly what they wanted. They were able to plant this seed and people reacted and they're continuing to react. And And, and I think we're all going to be looking at how they handle the what I consider to be prolific rape that you find in, in stories such as these, anytime there's war, there's going to be rape. That's part of the plunder and the fun of, of war apparently. So I I don't think that them never showing a rape is realistic because it it is, it is not true even in our society, which is a different, Mm -hmm. it's mostly a different world from Westeros, which Basically, mm-hmm. it's really just a couple of magic things and, and everything else that's different. You know, you still got the diff- the same class system and, and all of that shit. But it's getting harder to watch the show because I was already, I was like having a breath of relief when you told me that the one thing that I was fearing the most wasn't going to happen this season. And hopefully, I hope never does, which is a, a theory that I read the other day was that the the thing that was in the epilogue of book three that I thought we'd see this season. Um, and Nutty's, I think you're nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's like things like that that make it hard. And, and it's hard for me to keep getting hopeful for favorite characters like Arya when this just happened to Sansa. And it's mm-hmm. something that we're going to be talking about for a long time because... You know, at some point, Arya's going to probably, fuck, who knows, return back to Westeros and get married off, and she's going to have to get raped too, you know? So it's like, it's going to happen again in the show, and I don't, and I think it's a real, sh- I I completely understand when people decide not to watch this show. I stopped watching Lost because they killed Charlie. That's a spoiler for you. They killed my favorite character. I went, wham, 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 I'm not watching anymore. And I think on this topic specifically, it's it's absolutely what do they call it? A lightning rod issue or whatever, but it, it was, it was cruelly done. I agree with that 110% with Christiana and Nutty and Chooch. And I don't think it was necessary to show it other than that. It showed that Reek and Sansa were found themselves at a critical moment to both be powerless against Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just would have happier never seen it and heard about it later. Like Christiana said, Back to this episode. Do we want to give some ratings? Sure. <sighs> Who wants to go first? Anybody have one? I have one. I'm I'm gonna give it nine out of ten oysters with vinegar. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> I'm going ten out of ten little bits of white walker on the ground. Ooh, that's a nice one. Um and, and that is your highest rating this season. Yeah, I this episode was a tremendous return to form as far as I was concerned and something that I was expecting to be kind of cool turned out to be incredibly awesome for half the episode. Yeah. I, so meaning I meaning the hard home yeah, um segment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it 9.5 out of 10 snarky one ones. I'm giving it um 8 out of 10. 
I, I had a, a higher rating for it until it went World War Z. I didn't think that that <laughs> needed to be captured in this series the way it was, but. Do you have a rating have for last cover. week, Viv? Mm, I don't. I'll have to check my notes because okay. I, I just blank. I just figured it. <laughs> So that gives us a 91%, so 9.1 out of 10 for Hard Home. Now, next week, the episode title is The Dance of Dragons. Mm. It's very exciting to me. And I noticed something that makes me very excited. The next two episodes are going to be directed by David Nutter, which you may know from X-Files and Disturbing Behavior and... He's actually directed most of our favorite episodes of Game of Thrones or many cool. of our favorite episodes. Um, he's done The Flash. He's done tons of genre television shows uh, doing their pilots. And so he's he's uh, he's pretty big in genre TV. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Can I ask, did I misread a blo- um, an earlier story that came out about um, about season six? And that George wasn't going to write an episode for that season either. Um, I don't know about season six. I just know that he wasn't writing one for this season. I have not confirmed yeah. or denied uh, anything about season six. I, I could have sworn I saw surprised. I would not be surprised. Yeah. If he, uh, continues to relinquish it. Yeah. I, that I was careful, but you know what careful means with me is that I'm really sure I'm right when I'm wrong. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, we had two reviews in the Q&A or ratings. Uh, Mike gives it nine and a half out of ten cliff jumping zombies. <laughs> right and, on. Uh, Sheriff Bullock's wrap up. I thought this episode was great. Ending with epic. Ending was epic and gripping, though my favorite battle episode remains Blackwater because nothing beats drunk Cersei. <laughs> Danny Tyrion. In a battle corset. Right. Oh, yeah. Danny Tyrion scenes did not disappoint. 10 out of 10 creepy stink stares. That rating is for Viv. That is awesome. And uh, Viv, um, I have confirmed uh, Martin will not be writing for season six either. Hey, you got one right. Citing uh, <laughs> the same reason why he's canceled so many of his con uh, appearances this year. He's working on Winds of Winter. Much respect. Um, oh, and let's not read... Sheriff yeah. Bullock's uh, last comment, just because it has spoilers potentially for Outlander. Um, but uh, just in terms of the general question, um, I, I agree that the treatment of the subject was was handled differently in that show. But still in the broader context of like, I'm not sure that this if this is the story they want to tell, I'm not sure it's a story that I want to watch. And that was that's how I felt about Outlander. Oh, oh, about Outlander. Okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, in yeah, so they they handled a, a a plot point with some similarities. They handled it differently in that show, and potentially could be argued that they handled it better in some of the ways we were complaining about it. But it also just felt to me like that's not a story that I feel like watching. I am not entertained by a show telling that story. And similar in Game of Thrones, um, with the addition that I, I felt like the scene was handled poorly, it also just feels like 
that's not what I want to read about. It's not what I want to watch a show about. And calling it realistic does not change that to me at all, because like, even if you want to say that's what happened, you still don't have to show it. Yeah. Yeah. So changing topics, uh, just so you know, I did look it up and I've got exact dates. Um, minus CA minus 8,000 is when the wall was built and um, CA minus 100 is when the doom of Valyria happened. See, I, that's what I was originally thinking was that that was the doom of Valyria was much more recent. Yeah. So, so it is more recent, but it is still, you know, uh, a long time before um, the Targaryens come to Westeros. It's just, I, I didn't understand the, the timeline, the, a C B C C A thing. So I got kind of <laughs> it's confusing. But the interesting thing is that the known world, uh, they only know about twelve thousand five hundred years in the past. But then I'm looking at the timeline and it's like, well, no, 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 that's twelve thousand five hundred years behind when the Targaryens or close to when the Targaryens come. So it's, it's... Well, I mean, if you think of them in, in medieval uh, terms, yeah, that kind of makes sense that they they have a limited history because only the maesters and the folks at the Citadel and the highly educated people have a grand understanding, and even they've obviously forgotten a lot. <laughs> and the other thing to remember is that originally Westeros was not inhabited by man. Yerp. And so we're only at like around 300 AC right now, which is, you know, there's minus and then there's positive numbers. And anyway, so there's there's your totally dorky segment for this episode. Um, There was uh, one thing I wanted to mention uh, that one of our listeners let me know about today. Um, Zach, man, let me know that uh, Starship Sofa just today... uh, released an episode where they are reading one of George R. R. Martin's short stories. It's Songs of Stars and Shadows. It was originally published in Amazing Stories in 1976. Wow. So if you want to check that out, you can go to starshipsofa.com and look for today's entry. That's uh, June 3rd. And uh, yeah, no, it, it looks really cool. I've got it all saved, ready to listen to it. And uh, you get to hear some early George R. R. Martin stories. So they're reading them and not discussing them? It, yeah, it's just, it's it's a magazine show, you know, much like Escape Pod and the other thing. Gotcha. Where they read the, the, the stories. Right on. Anybody have any other, other little bits? I think that's it. Nothing. All right. We're going to wrap up. Well, that was the wrap up. We're going to say goodbye <laughs> and we're going to see the uh, live viewers. Thanks for tuning in as always. We'll be on an hour early next week. So mm. 8 PM Eastern. You can always look at the uh, Google and Facebook events for when it's going to happen. And I'll try to remember to create them earlier, <laughs> <laughs> but that's it for us. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. If you have feedback for the Beyond the Wall podcast, you can email us at btw at specficmedia.com. You can also leave us a comment on the website. Go to specficmedia.com where you'll find a shiny BTW button that'll take you right to our page. 
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Feel free to share and remix. Just give us credit and don't charge money for it. Tonight we're discussing episode eight of Game of Thrones. Uh-oh. Are you muted, Judge? Of course not. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. That, that would, be would be such a rookie move. Totally unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> Try that again. Take two. It's almost. <laughs> It's almost as rude as announcing that you're going to be exactly on time and then being three minutes late. Welcome, everyone, to Season 5 of Spectific Media Presents Beyond the Wall.